I need my Mountain Dew game fuel so that I can watch a season of Pretty Little Liars in a week. That's what I, I need this for, is I need that energy to keep up with Miss Marlene King and whatever the fuck she's got going on over there. How's that show doing for you? Okay, actually, season one and the part of season two that, I'm wa- that I've watched so far mm-hmm. are really good. That's what I've heard. I've heard it just like loses the plot like in the middle, but the beginning is like real good. Yeah, like honestly, James, mm-hmm. first two seasons, pretty good. I think you would enjoy them. <laughs> I think I started it at one point, actually. The Emily storyline did come into my house and kick over my gay flag and just oh. ruin my life, but in a good way, actually, like as in like it's really good representation, kind of. And then season two, <laughs> and then season two, Emily dates a girl who attempted to drown her at one point in time. Mm-hmm. But don't worry, the girl was suffering from internalized homophobia. And don't we all do things we regret? <laughs> don't we all? <laughs> I grew up gay in the middle of nowhere in a small town. I didn't resort Mm -hmm. to drowning people, but like, we've all done things we regret. That is so funny, though. That's hilarious. Is that going to be the intro babble to this podcast? I guess so. I mean, unless you have anything else. I don't think so. I will compare parts of this episode to Pretty Little Liars if you would like. No, thank you. (laughs) Alrighty. So, you know, you said no, and now we move on. Uh, hey, B, do you want to talk about Criminal Minds Season 2, Episode 8, Empty Planet? James, I would love to talk about Criminal Minds Season 2, Episode 8, Empty Planet. A really, really good episode, honestly. Actually, very good. Really good? Actually, really good. Is Criminal Minds good now? Uh, I, get, I mean, Emily shows up next episode, so... Is it good? We're on the tracks. Trains at the station. Last step was really good. Yeah, like mm-hmm. last step was really good. We've mm-hmm. had, I mean, the only episode we've ranked really poorly in season two is the first one, the Fisher King part two, which is basically just well, season one. Yeah. So like, is- I think we're on the up and up. I think we're on the up and up now. This is fun. We've yeah. we've never been on the up and up <laughs> on this podcast before. It's fun that we're like finally getting somewhere. I think this is why my note taking changed is because this is a good episode. <laughs> this is a really good episode and it touches on a lot of things that Criminal Minds hasn't touched on before. Yeah. Right? This is the first bomber episode we've had in a while. I don't know as though we really had one previously besides the forgerer one. Yeah. But like this is the first Is this the first bomber real big bomber episode? I think, I think so. It is. After Won't Be Fooled Again. Yeah, which was yeah. like episode three. three of season one. Like, yeah, we haven't had a bomber episode in a while. And no. I think that's what kind of like makes this so good. Yeah. And I think that like the fact that we're in the show now, we know how the show works. We don't need them explaining every little thing to us makes the bombing more interesting, you know? Yeah. And it brings out a lot of sides of characters that we hadn't kind of like seen before. Like there's mm-hmm. a really good Derek scene this episode. Yeah, there really is. Which you wouldn't expect. No. But like, we're in this show now. We are in the shit, dude. Holy shit, this good. is Criminal Minds. This is Criminal Minds when it's good. Oh, and this is our podcast Reels Up. 
This is our podcast wheels up about criminal minds. A good show, I think. A good show? Question mark. A show. That should be our tagline. A good show? Question mark. A show. Certainly. Certainly a show. But a good show, maybe. I mean, it's a television show on TV. This was on CBS, and it was good sometimes. <laughs> it was on CBS for 15 years. So, so that's something. Exactly. Okay. So we start off with like a shot of a desk. And on the desk, there's a there's the empty planet book. Obviously. There's a bunch of like diagrams. There's the umbrella with no cloth on it. You can see all the spokes. And then there's like a phone ringing and you hear a woman say, this is the National News Network. I love their fake news networks. <laughs> I just realized that their like acronym would just be NNN. Which, like, I don't like that. I don't like it either. It's literally just, like, it's... Mm. What do, what's the C in CNN stand for? Oh, <laughs> what does CNN stand for? Cable News Network. It's literally the Cable News Network mixed with NBC, the national broadcasting channel. <laughs> yeah. They just went National News Network. <laughs> they, needed, they couldn't... I mean, you can't say... I mean, you can say it, but you can't make it a plot device, you know? Yeah. If if you're using CNN or NBC or CBS mm-hmm. or whatever. So he calls it the National News Network. And you hear the male voiceover saying, like, there's going to be a bomb explosion on a bus in the city where it all began. And, like, the woman's like, did you say a bomb? Wait, what? Sir, what are you talking about? There's a bomb? And while he's like making the bomb and he like sticks it onto the umbrella. And then he's like, he closes the umbrella, wraps it. And then he like pulls on his black leather gloves and like puts on his sunglasses. And he's like in a suit. I wrote he was feeling himself. <laughs> he, You have to look good to feel good and yeah. be good at your job. Even if your job is unfortunately bombing, you know, you gotta look yeah. good. I, I think though that that like, was such a weird choice. He's like in a suit. He's got a briefcase, the leather gloves, and then the rest of the time he's in like a hoodie and like a beanie. <laughs> yeah, and then when he shows up, he's in like a flannel. Like yeah. he's just a, a dude in Seattle. You like, know literally, what I mean? He's like, just like some guy. Like he's a college student. He's a like, college <laughs> student. Why is he wearing his suit to bomb people? Like you would have so thought odd. he would have dressed up to meet Ursula. You know. Yeah. You would have thought he would have dressed up for that meeting. Yeah. But no. No, it's the bombing. It's also yeah. weird. Like, I could see it if he had, like, had to, like, blend into a certain type of people. You know what I mean? Like, if he had yeah. to blend into, like, the office workers at the building or whatever, yeah. I could see that. Yeah. It's a bus. It's a public bus. <laughs> it's a public bus in Seattle. You could wear pajamas and everyone would be like, mood. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, it's a public bus. Nobody yeah. gives that much of a shit on a public bus. Yeah, I wonder if because it was going to be such a public explosion, he wanted no one to then, like, like, oh, it was this guy with these, like, leather gloves, and he was, like, in a suit, and then no one would look after him. And he was in a hoodie and beanie. But it just was, like, an odd choice. It was weird, you know? It was weird. It was just strange choice it was certainly a choice that he made we can move on but it was certainly a choice yeah that i don't think fits with the rest of who this dude is but yeah and he's like you see the bus and it's like seattle um metropolitan whatever and then he's like make sure my message gets out and the woman is like what's your message and he says this is only the beginning until it's brought back under control 
people will die. And then he like gets on the bus and it like to the BAU. JJ outfit alert, bright red shirt with a white the white collar, the cuffs. I have a shirt that looks exactly like that. <laughs> exactly like that. I have a bright red sweater that I can do that with. I feel like maybe we should this is stupid, but James, should we should we dress up like J- James, should we dress up like JJ? Oh my god. To record nap. I think that might be fun. Well, I thought it's our matching JJ shirts. Oh, true. I could go put that on right now. We could rock. We, we could do that next time. We'll do that next time. Anyway, she looks great. And she comes barreling into the bullpen and reads like, oh, JJ, how's your weekend? Right past him. Doesn't <laughs> blink. And he's just like, okay. <laughs> so she goes into Hotch's office and says that Homeland Security reported a bomb threat in an unknown city within the last 30 minutes. And they need a threat assessment ASAP Rocky. And Hotch is like on the phone and he's like, I'll call you back. And just hangs up. I like when the BAU gets to do things like this. There's a few Mm -hmm. times during the series that they get to do like quote unquote like threat assessments or when they run point for like things. Mm -hmm. I like when they do things other than just like catch killer goodbye. Because it's very much... I don't know. It feels very like workplace comedy. Everybody's wearing seven different hats. You know sure. what I mean? <laughs> sure. <laughs> it's yeah, just like you know, everybody has to do like three things that aren't in their job description. That's right. what this Always. is. Yeah. 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 So he's like, get everyone together. They go to the briefing room. The team is listening to the message. And JJ says that this guy sent the threat to most major stations. And all the wording was slightly different. So it's not a script. And it wasn't a recording, which means that this guy has a measure of confidence mm-hmm. because he didn't need to like, he didn't need to prepare his talking points. He like, yeah. he got, he got it. Yeah, he had it locked down. Yeah, he knew what he wanted. So they're talking like, okay, but like, then why, why call all these people? Like, why do all of this? And they say that he's a personal cause bomber. Like the bomb represents something to him and he's doing it for like personal reasons and the reason he called was to get attention because the bomb is only going to kill the people that it kills but if he gets his news out his message spreads more yeah so he wants the attention because he wants like he like fucking writes a manifesto um just cringe as hell (laughs) only cringe lords and losers write manifestos before they bomb things I mean, really? Okay, Holden Caulfield. <laughs> um, his phone number was from a restricted number. This was really cute. Garcia's like, yeah, I convinced two of the news networks to let us do a trap and trace if we need to. And Hotch is like, you got major news organizations to let you do a trap and trace? And Garcia just goes, who could say no to me? And he just like laughs. I like JJ and Garcia this episode because you can see them playing the media in real time. I love it. Oh, yeah. They're so good this episode. Neither of them have like an outsized, like they're not here here. The episode isn't about them. But like, God, they're good at their jobs. I love when women are good at their jobs. I love when women are competent. So true. (laughs) Yeah, that was like really interesting. I think we did not so much with Garcia because like she says this, but like everything else she does is normal. But like with JJ, we get to see her do a little more of her job. Yeah. Like the purposefully misleading press conference and like, Mm -hmm, you know, that kind mm -hmm. of thing. It's like, that was cool to see. Yeah, I really liked that, actually. So then uh, the Homeland Security told the news stations to, like, keep it quiet for now, mass panic, etc. And it doesn't sound like... And JJ actually is the one who's like, because it's in an unspecified city, like, saying that there's, like, a bomber on the loose 
would incite that mass panic. Yeah. And so we like really want to keep this under wraps until we know more. Um, and again, this is like, of course, that's JJ's thing to say because she's the media person, you know? She's the expert, yes. Yeah, yeah. So that's really cool. And then they're, they're talking about it that like it doesn't sound like a hoax. You know, he's calm, he's committed. And then they say like, he says this is only the beginning and Rita's like, of what? Like, what is it? Gideon says like, he's because it's a personal cause, he's going to need to call back. He's going to need to follow through to prove how like serious he is. And they have to wait basically for a bomb to go off to figure out where it is. Like there's n- literally no way to figure it out until a bomb goes off. You know, which is actually such like when they say that it feels like a punch to the gut, kind of like literally, we just, and then it like goes right to the bus, and you're just like, oh fuck, you know, and you're like, oh, it's this fucking bus again. <laughs> yeah, there's a really interesting episode. I can't remember if it's already happened or if it's coming up where they like can't figure out a case, and Derek says like we need another body to figure this out. We need someone else to like die so we can get more evidence. You know what I'm talking about? I know what you're talking about because it's that thing he mentions, like that thing with the eyes. Like they need another body, right? Oh God, th- that hasn't happened yet. Okay, it has not happened yet. Yeah, okay. Because he said, but like at one point he says that, like we need another body, and then a woman dies, and it helps him solve the case. But he's also like, oh shit, I shouldn't be like wanting people to die so we can get clues, you know? Yeah. So it's like that same thing of like we're gonna have to wait for the bomb to go off to get more clues and like that sucks, sucks. ass yeah yeah <laughs> yeah so it's an interesting so they do like an interesting like zoom in like through the top of the bus the overhead shot of the guy and we see him like slide his umbrella under the seat in front of him he pulls the string and then he gets off the bus and while he is off the bus he's like walks away a little bit he stops he turns around and then he pushes the button mm-hmm and the bomb explodes and he just drops it. What I thought was interesting though, what we find out ends up happening is a woman in his seat saw the umbrella and took it to the front. But that dude was off the bus for like 10 seconds. He, yeah, he wasn't off the bus for very long at all. So it's like he must have like gotten up. The second he gotten up, got up, a woman sat down and she noticed the umbrella right away as he was stepping off. And then, and then that other guy volunteered to take the thing up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in five seconds, that almost- Maybe ha- he just walks really slow. And so yeah, he was only like I 20 guess. feet from the bus, but it took him a good half a minute to get there. I'm pretty sure he was like diagonal from, like he was like not far. He was not know. far from that bus. No, that's why like when they said what happened, I was like, oh yeah, that makes sense. And then I was like, wait, he's off the bus for five seconds, whatever. Come on, my Yes. So then the BAU arrives in Seattle and- Reed is like, so it's Seattle. Like, what is it about Seattle? What began in Seattle? And Derek goes, the only thing I can think of is grunge music and overpriced coffee. (laughs) Which I was like, hell yeah, get Starbucks. Get their ass. Get their ass. (laughs) Derek makes a lot of really good, like, remarks like that this episode. He's a funny guy. He's like a funny guy, Derek Morgan is. He's a funny dude. Derek Morgan's kind of very funny. Uh, (laughs) uh, So Reed is like, Oh, yeah, he goes, grunge music and overpriced coffee. And he goes, that doesn't seem significant enough for terrorism. But then Gideon goes, yeah, it only has to be significant to him. <laughs> and I was like, only oh. one person in the world needs to hate grunge music so goddamn much. Right. Um, but I was like, okay, Gideon, that's kind of a joke, even though you're making your weird serious face. 
Oh, and then I noticed this. They get introduced to Agent Nick Casey from the Seattle field office. Oh, I have something to say about this. But when Hotch is introducing them, they're all SSAs except for JJ. Yeah. Who's just an agent. Yeah. Which I thought was really interesting. So she's a lower status than them. Or, yeah, she's just not the special part of Agent yet. She's just not special, I guess. Maybe it's something to do with, like, when they become profilers, they get, like, it has to be, like, after, like, a different, like, course or degree kind of type thing. So they get that supervisory. And for last episode, when Hotch goes, have you ever thought about taking the classes and becoming a profiler? Yeah, so then she could become a yeah special agent. Yeah, so, I get, so like, later when she, spoiler alert, starts doing profiling... She must become... Supervisory special agent, whatever, yeah. Supervisory special agent. JJ. I also feel like they don't mention JJ's agent status a lot, unless yeah. it's, like, when there's some place where, like, some police chief is trying to, like, undermine JJ, then... She's like, it's agent. Hotch will, like, lie for her. Yeah. Or he'll, he'll be like, this is special agent Jerome. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. they don't ever, like, mention it unless they make a point to mention it. Right. Like a lot of times when JJ gets called like Miss, she's like, it's Agent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Actually. Mm-hmm. Don't call- I'm not Miss Jerome. I'm Agent Jerome. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Anyway, so Hotch introduces them all. Here's my thought. Here's what I had to say. You know who else? You know who should be here? Who? Elle. Because she was from Seattle. This is going them back to their first case. Yeah. Yeah. Elle got recruited from or joined the BAU after being in the Seattle field office. And there is not one mention of Elle. Not one. And I was like, we're literally back in Seattle. Like, all of these people knew Elle. It would have been interesting if the guy was like, hey, wait a minute. Where's Agent Greenaway? You know? And they were just like, nah. This is the first time we see Criminal Minds do the thing where someone leaves and then they never mention them again. They are just dead to them. They're basically. dead to Criminal they Minds. They are. We do not talk about them. Um, yeah, so I said literally no comment about Elle. So so we find out what the bomb was. It was a small pipe bomb attached to the umbrella like we saw. And Derek is like, I want to see the pieces. I have bomb experience. And we find out there were 25 people on the bus, including the driver, two dead, the driver and the young man who had the umbrella, and then seven injured. Um, and the two dead were the ones closest to the bomb. And here's where we get the story of the older woman found the umbrella. The young man offered to take it to the driver and then it exploded. And the the Agent Casey says, yeah, we talked to everybody. And Hotch goes, well, did you find out where they were all sitting? (laughs) And the guy's like, no. And he's like, JJ, can you call them all again and figure out, (laughs) figure this out? JJ's like, yeah. Which does come into play later. Yeah, they they have like a whiteboard drawing of a bus. Someone did a very good drawing of the bus. Yeah, and then they labeled where each they, they, person yeah. was. And it matters. It's really good. Yeah, yeah, it matters. It's important. So I like that they, Yes. you know, Yeah. I like that they made a big deal of this now. And it's not one of those things where they like make a big deal out of it and then never mention it again. I like that they make a big deal out of it and then they're like, yes. and it is important later. Look, we did a mystery good. <laughs> and also we get to see JJ doing something beyond media, right? Now she's calling the victims. And re-interviewing them to get the position. Yeah, so she's getting a little more responsibility. And then it ends up being like the fact that she she was the one who did that. She puts together the dots of yes. the guy who was sitting. So I thought that was really interesting that they did. They did a good follow through on that little piece. The like where people were sitting on the bus. They did a lot of good follow through this episode, yeah, actually. They really did. And it paid off. I mean, we loved this episode. I loved this episode. Yeah, I was like, I yelling on my screen. There were a couple of things like the fact that they didn't comment on L. Um, and there's one moment later, I'll tell you, but like, other than that, 
I didn't have a lot of complaints. I was like, super into this episode. Yeah, this is a really good episode. So actually, just like a really good episode. This is one of those episodes that I will I will go back and rewatch. Yeah. Okay. So then they're talking about the detonation, mm-hmm. and it was a limited frequency remote, like a garage button. And then like Gideon goes on the bus, and he's like imagining all of the passengers and like imagining the explosion. I made a note here, and I was like, is he sensitive about this because of Adrian Bale and like that bombing? You know, like bombings made him take six months off of the BAU, you know, but they didn't mention it. There was no callback to it. Or is he just doing his weird mind palace kind of thing? You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know as though he played it as he was sensitive. I think he played it as in he was having a brain moment. Oh, yeah. You know what I I mean? (laughs) I do think he did, but I thought it was interesting that they like, it was like him who was like on the bus looking at the passengers and then the explosion, the blood, you know, because he was kind of responsible for those six agents dying so it's like now he's in a place where people died from a bomb you know yeah um but they they that's me they did not make that connection i made that connection <laughs> that was not the criminal minds writers that was all yeah. me yeah so then hotch says like did he want to be close when he pushed the button or did he need to be close and i think derek says that he probably needed to be close because of the button they were like so he was probably nervous but no dude he was in like a suit with like his leather thing and he just was like beep drop not nervous at all so like this makes no sense maybe the suit was to like mask the nervousness you know if i see somebody nervous in a suit i'm like either a the market is about to crash so bad (laughs) or b Somebody is very nervous for a job interview. <laughs> you know what I mean? Maybe that's why he was like wearing the gloves so he wouldn't like be sweating and like the sunglasses. Like, okay. So no one could see him sweat. So nobody could see him sweat. All right. Okay. And so that everybody knew the markets are alive and well or what the fuck ever. I don't know how economics works. <laughs> sure. Yeah, me neither, actually. <laughs> and then JJ says a line about like needing to do a press conference. AJ Cook completely forgets her line. In the middle of this delivery. She's like, are we going to need to do a press conference after this to see if any witnesses recognized him? And I was just like, girl. (laughs) I was like, why is this the take they used? Like, did they only get one take and it was you forgetting your line halfway through? Like, what? You know, we all have those days where we forget. Yeah, but they're not filmed and put on public broadcast television and she does it again during the press conference she has another sentence where she's like we're looking no one has claimed responsibility for (laughs) i wonder if maybe they were like i wonder if this is one of those things where like there was a final draft came in like the day before they started filming or like the day off and suddenly all yeah. the lines were different. And so yeah. like something got changed last minute. She was like, I don't know these fucking lines, guys. Let's just Dude, try it. Like, I'm just saying words. <laughs> I'm just saying words. I don't know what they mean. Yeah. But basically, JJ's like, let's do a press conference. You know, the guy pushed the button from close by. So maybe there were people near him who noticed anything. And then Gideon's like, yeah, we're going to need to do a press conference. But not for witnesses. We're going to get him to contact us. And it's like, oh, wow. Okay, old man. Okay. <laughs> so then JJ does the press conference and basically says that like, yeah, they originally thought it was a bomb, but now it might have been a mechanical failure. You know, no one stepped up to claim responsibility. So like, it's probably not an intentional explosion. If you know anything, call Agent Gideon. Here's the phone number. 
And Hotch is like behind the cameras, arms crossed, legs spread, staring at her. She gives this press conference. And I was like, that's not nerve wracking. Okay. He's like looking at the monitor like he's going to set it on fire with his mind. So true, Aaron. <laughs> and then they walk away and she's like, so what do you think? Do you think it worked? And he's like, we'll find out. And she's like, well, what if it doesn't work? And he's like, well, Reed and Derek are with the bomb. Let's hope they get something. And then it cuts to Reed and Derek at the back. And you're like, okay, I see what we did here. All right. All right. We need your press conference. Press conference. They're working on the bomb. The bomb. It's like, okay, sure, whatever. Do your segues. Yeah, it's very much like, okay, you guys could have just done a cut. You didn't need to add the like, we're going to the bomb now. And now. now, The bomb. The bomb. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, and, and as they like walk away, the guy there's a guy watching the TV and he's like, no. And then walks you. Know, okay. He's like, no, no, no. Yeah. He's really like distressed, obviously. Yeah. I mean, for obvious reason. He bought a whole suit for this. <laughs> um, <laughs> and on a college student budget, that's I no mean, small feat. Yeah. Um, so Reed and Derek are going over the pieces. The detonator came, it could have come from like, you could buy it in a toy store, any remote car or like remote boat. Um, all you had to do was like connect the remote, press the button, and it would go off. And then the bomb tech comes in. Her name is Cass, and she's great. And she's very attractive, and she's in this whole episode. <laughs> yeah, I like her. <laughs> Me too. She was just like, I got a job to do, and just did it all the time. And she's I like, like oh, yeah. I got this union contract for one episode. I'm gonna work it. I, and Listen, she does. I have enough lines to get all of my equity points. <laughs> so. Um, what's her name? Jennifer Jaylene, you did a great job. Good job. I like your haircut. Good job. And basically, so she puts it together and Derek is like, it's a real good reconstruction. And she's like, thanks. <laughs> and she's like, it was basically built to have like a loud explosive noise. And then it was filled with dried peas. And Derek is like, weird. He used a shrapnel that would only hurt someone if they were really close. So like, obviously this bomb was intended to like do major, major damage. It was yeah yeah so that was, i mean it's an interesting fact and then the and then Cass says there's also this engraving of a of something and reed looks at it and says it's an engraving of a robot with an arrow through it i thought it was a key when i first saw it like the drawings are much more detailed but this little mm-hmm. engraving i was like is it a robot is it <laughs> is it the drawings are very cute and i did make the one that um it like zooms in when Garcia's looking at it. I did make that an emoji in my Discord. Uh, and then they're like, oh, uh, Derek's like, okay, so it's the antibiotics. And they start talking about the bus that they were on. They're smart buses. They're high technology. They're automated. They do the thing where they tell you how far away they are. And so they're like, okay, so maybe it's anti-robotics. And then Derek calls Penelope and asks for a list of domestic terrorists in Seattle. Um, and she's like, there's a lot. And he goes, cool. Thanks. How many are anti-robotics? And then she's like, hmm, actually a month ago, which was October 8th. So this is only three days after North Mammon, just about. Right after North Mammon. Okay, yeah. A man in Tacoma, Washington, attacked four computers in a science lab with an aluminum bat. He just went to <laughs> And town. honestly, kind of a mood, actually. Honestly, such, so true. Kind of a mood. Yeah. I, too, would love to just go to town with an aluminum bat in a computer lab. Let's go. Oh, my go. God. Cathartic. Exactly. Yeah, right? I'd, have a, I'd have a grand old time. <laughs> we shouldn't be validating the actions of this dude who no. does technically fall under a terrorist. But, yeah. you know, those, also, like, bars where they let you, like, throw plates at walls and shit? What? 
Or those like rump rec rooms or whatever. Oh, like a wreck room. Yeah, you can just like toss shit at the walls and hit shit with bats. Oh, this is that, but in a computer lab. This is that. I think it would be very cathartic to just get let loose in my high school computer lab with a bat. Why have a landfill of outdated technology when you could put them all on a table and give me a bat? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, so he does all of that, and he, but he doesn't steal anything. He just does bats. He just breaks shit, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which again, mood. Which live your best life. And then he wrote like a handwritten note, and it said, We will soon be the slaves, and the machines will be the masters. And Garcia's like, Yikes. And then she looks around and was like, that would be bad for me. <laughs> I got a lot of machines in here. And Derek's like, oh, baby girl, don't worry about it. You got me to protect you. <laughs> and I was like, that's cute, Derek, but you're not in the room with the computers right now, are you? <laughs> um, you're across the country, actually. So she sends the video and says, like, also, the St. Dennis University newspaper last spring had somebody attack a computer cafe, which made me laugh. Remember fucking computer cafes? Honestly? No, you no. don't. Yeah, me neither, actually. Well, I, well, to be fair, there was one that was, like, kind of a computer cafe. It was just, like, a gaming place, and they had a bunch of computers. Yeah, that's exactly it. Was, like, it. specifically for gaming. It wasn't, like, just a regular internet cafe or whatever, but. Yeah. Um, I just thought that was really interesting. I was like, nowadays, you'd have to, like, go to the library. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, he made bombs out of floppy disks. And Derek goes, who can also mood, actually. Also very funny. And Derek goes, who still uses floppy disks? Or Reed says that. Like, who still uses floppy disks? As if Reed knows anything about anything about computers. He doesn't have that backstory yet. So true. But also, I feel like in 2006 was, like, the transition away from floppies, but not necessarily, like... Like, like those computers in the Internet Cafe had floppy drives. Yeah. You know? Like, nowadays... We found a bunch of floppy disks at my mom's house and we're literally like, this is trash. Like, there's nothing we could do to look at these, you know? Yeah. So I thought, so Reed's like, who still uses floppy disks? And I wanted to be like, I mean, the computer still had floppy disk drives. So like some people, so <laughs> Reed. So objectively people. So like, they're still making computers with them. So someone. Anyway, the note from that said, you... Ultimately, you'll be as obsolete as your graveyard technology. And it was from the FFT Brigade, which is the Freedom from Technology. And then I, I drew the little robot with the arrow. The little robot with the arrow is really cute. It's the more I so think cute. about it, the more I'm like, that might be a little guy I put on my body. Oh my god, Bessie, do you want to get matching tattoos of the little <laughs> robot? Of a very obscene reference, obscure reference to Criminal Minds? I mean, we're going to be doing this shit for, like, at least 10 years. We might as well get matching tattoos now. <laughs> get it out of the way. Get it out Just of the get way. it out of the way so we're done. <laughs> Both of us, yours can be a little business boy robot, and mine will be a little husband robot. <laughs> <laughs> the way that you're defining personality trait is husband, and mine is business boy. <laughs> motherfuckers to discuss criminal minds the adventures of husband and business boy the adventures of husband and business boy (laughs) 
alternate funny. name for this podcast. Oh my god. We gotta talk about this goddamn podcast. We have to talk about Criminal Minds on this podcast. It has been almost an hour. We are like five minutes into the episode. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Hey. Criminal Minds. What's going on? After this dude is just wrecking some computer's shit with an aluminum baseball bat. Um, yeah. And then also floppy disks. Floppy disks is where we derailed. Great up from season one. Literally any time someone says like derail or derailed, I'm just like, great episode. <laughs> and I hate it. Every time I'm like, good episode. <laughs> Every time I want to be like, that episode won our season one rankings. <laughs> no, literally. <laughs> it's like become, it's like a, pa- a Pavlonian response now for me. Every time I hear derailed, I'm like, great season one up. <laughs> Did you say Pavlonian? I said Pavlovian, but okay, I don't. I was just double checking correctly. Okay, I was just checking. I was like, "Do you think his name is Pavlon?" Like, <laughs> no, it's no. I know it's Pav, but also Pavlov. Yeah, no, I'm good. Okay, I said it right. Fuck you. Sure. The little robot boy in the drawing matches the little robot boy engraving on the end of the bomb. So they are all the same little robot boy. So it's the same person. Reed says Seattle's the birthplace of a lot of cutting edge technology. And I looked some of those up. It seems interesting to me that they were like, Seattle is the technology place. With- but wait till you hear what came out of Seattle. Yeah, that's fair. It's just like when I think technology, I think Silicon Valley, San Fran. Right. Which I think is like what most of us think. But you know what was created in Seattle? What? The fucking personal computer. Bill Gates is from Seattle. That is true. That's why Microsoft is headquartered in Seattle, isn't it? Yeah, literally computers and digital cameras and holographs and ultrasounds. So hmm. like, yeah, so I know. heavy hitters. I like looked up, I was like, inventions from Seattle. And everyone was like, the backpack, the down jacket. I was like, this is not my, no. <laughs> and that. then you refined that search a little bit and it was like, yeah. the personal computer. It's like, oh, okay. Yeah. I guess. Oh, okay, yeah. Oh, Apple. Apple is from <laughs> Amazon, like, okay. Amazon's from <laughs> Seattle, too. Like, yeah. Oh, true. Yeah, so a lot of stuff. I just never think, I just always think Silicon Valley. I don't know why. When I think, I think it's about, because Seattle is so grunge music and coffee to me. When I think about Seattle, I think about how it has the highest percentage of married lesbians in the country. Honestly, so true for Seattle. I love that for them. I love that, love for, them. that for them. Yeah. I did a project on Seattle. It's very gay. They're ready to give the profile. I love when they know two things. And then they're like, we're ready to give the profile. And then it's a whole profile. And I'm like, uh, were you? <laughs> like, what? <laughs> they're like, I don't know. We can't find this. We can't find that. And then it's like, we're ready. And it's just a whole profile. And I'm like, when did you guys discuss this? When did you guys talk about this? Like, when? Like, when? We never see them just like, well, I mean, we do later on, but we like hardly ever see them just being like, well, these traits kind of indicate this. But when you factor in that, like we never see them like profiling. We just get the profile. Yeah, we never see them doing that like final group meeting before the presentation, you know? Yeah. We never see them doing that. Like, okay, you can tell the cops about the types of bombers and the personal cause bombers. I'll let them know about 
age and demographics you know like we never see them like divvying no. that up like they always do and it's so funny in later seasons when their team is like huge like in later seasons you see them all lined up and it's like why are there 10 of you <laughs> like you're like what what wait a minute when did there get to be so many of you and then they each know what line they're saying and it doesn't even go down like they'll stand in a row and it doesn't even go like jump around yeah it's not even person to, they're not standing in any order but they all know exactly when they start talking, when someone else starts talking. And it has nothing to do with their specialties. It's just like, what? How are you? Did you practice this before you tell the police? Like, <laughs> how do you Literally. do this? Literally. No one's ever like jumping each other's lines or cutting each other off. It's always like perfect crystal clear. Like, when are you practicing this? When are you practicing this? Okay. The profile is that he probably lives in Seattle. No shit, Sherlock. <laughs> yeah, I mean, all the bombs have been there. And he seems to know his way around. So, like, he probably lives here. He doesn't necessarily want people to die from his bombs. He just wants to kind of, like, create fear. And Reed listed the types of terrorists. They went by real fast. So I only got the one that it is. And it's a personal cause terrorist. And so there's some sort of underlying emotion. And then, okay, I want your opinion on this. They gave the story of the Unabomber. What the fuck was that guy here for? What the fuck? It had nothing to do. That story especially. I was like, what yeah. are you trying to say here? It was literally like he grew up his whole life thinking he was a girl. He went to get gender reassignment surgery. He backed out. And then he became a national terrorist. I was like, what's the message I'm supposed to be getting from this? <laughs> yeah, no, no, that's exactly right. Like, it feels like they never tell us the moral of that story. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I, I feel mean, like usually in TV shows when they do something like that, where they're like, where they tell a story about somebody that did something not the same, but similar before, right? It's usually clear, like, what the moral of the story is or, like, why you're seeing, why you're hearing right. about this. Even in, like, even in other episodes of Criminal Mind. But I think in this one, they just, like, named the most famous bomber. And they were like, that's it. Wipe that's our it. hands. We're done. Well, like, they could have talked about fucking Adrian Bale. Like, why not call back to your other bombing episode? Why not use your own mythology? Yeah. You do later. Yeah. Maybe they just felt like they hadn't built it up enough. I don't know. I don't I do not like that they yeah. put that Unabomber stuff in here. It had no there was no reason. No. I mean they could have talked about like because I think the Unabomber did have a manifesto and I think he did have like reasons for picking the targets he did. They could have talked about that. That part. Why was it like yeah, he was probably trans, but he chickened out and the guilt made him so crazy he, he became people. the unabomber yeah, yeah like i feel like they spoke very little about the bombs the unabomber did in an episode about bombs yeah it was so fucking weird yeah i like literally i don't get it i don't understand it like i guess we're supposed to take away that there was an emotional turmoil within him that led to him bombing but, but even that part is unclear, really. Yeah, like they didn't say it was like the guilt of backing out or like the um, trauma of having to live, you know, with his incorrect gender body. 
or what. They were just like, yeah, this happened. And then he became a bomber. And it was like, sorry, what what connection? They did the thing again of signposting where they were like, here's the story. You, you figure what out. you want. Yeah. Build your own iceberg. Literally build your own iceberg. Here's your cake ingredients. Have fun. <sighs> see Crimin Mind, see how easy it is to call back to previous episodes. We just did it. <sighs> we just did it twice. So we've we've we did it with derailed earlier. <laughs> then it together criminal mind. See how easy it is? So easy. Yeah, off the cuff. Okay. The Unabomber story, I put a sad face in my notes. So now that we described the unsub, they didn't give us an age bracket, but they said he's male, meticulous, smart, distant, angry, and prone to outbursts. His neighbors are totally gonna believe he's a psycho bomber. <laughs> Reed <laughs> Hotch is like, yeah, his neighbors are not gonna be surprised. They're not gonna be like, oh, he was so nice. They're gonna be like, yeah, that dude is weird as shit. <laughs> like, But I also... I, I like that note a lot. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like he gives off bad vibes. Yeah. Yeah. Like sometimes you don't know what is wrong with a person. You just like don't like those vibes. That's okay. Trust that gut, you know? Trust that gut. You sometimes to like that you're going to find out that your neighbor was a crazed bomber and you'll be like, yeah, okay. Yeah, all right. That works. Okay. That, that tracks. You know I'm what I sure. mean? <laughs> so funny. Just bad vibes. All around. Sometimes you're going to meet a person with bad vibes and you're just going to have to be like, yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, and he's targeting technology we use in our daily lives. Not, it's like, he's not going after, you know, Apple headquarters. He's not going after, like, NASA. He's going after buses and computer labs, you know? Yeah. He's not going after the fucking colliders that... right are in universities in California. Yeah, so it's got something to do with the technology that is integrated into our lives. And then I made a note, I said, where's JJ? She's not in the scene. She's just not there. She's just... She went to go call the victims and they just never came back. Yeah. Um, she shows up very soon. But I, in this moment, I was just like, hey, wait. Where is she? Where is she? Where is she? Um, where'd she go? Where's my girl? She's wearing a bright red shirt. Can't miss her. <laughs> Literally, you cannot miss her. Literally could not miss her. We had a call on the tip line for Gideon, and the guy keeps being like, We called all the networks. Why would you say we didn't take responsibility? Why would you say this? Why would you say that? Um, and then he keeps being like, The Brigade is a huge organization. We have hundreds of members. And Gideon's like, Well, you know, the networks didn't cooperate, but we'll cooperate with you. Like, we'll help you. Like, what's your thing? What's going on? What's your name? And then the guy says Allegro. They never address this organization again. Like he keeps saying, we are a huge organization, the freedom, whatever. Are we supposed to just assume that this guy made it all up? I think yes. That is kind of what I assumed. Okay. Is that this was actually just one dude. But they do never address it. Yeah, like that's why I assume they never like, yeah, they never addressed it. Okay, his name's Allegro, and he's like, oh, you want my message? You'll get my message when you get here. And then he explodes the gas station and just kind of like walks away. Like a cool guy. Like a cool dude. Oh, and while like this is happening, Derek, in this episode a few times, we see him like tossing like a hacky sack back and forth. And I like that because in the first episode, he's like tossing a baseball back and forth in his hands. And now he's like, got another hacky sack. So I like that he's got his own little like, Everyone's kind of got their fidget things. Yeah. JJ's, it's playing with the cap of her pencil, like twisting Mm -hmm. her pencil or like clicking it. And then, you know, Reed just kind of like touches things. (laughs) Um, And then Derek's got his like little ball. Um, So I really like that, that that people have their own unique little like stems like that. The team goes to the gas station. 
same detonator, same type of explosion. Um, the gas station closed 15 minutes prior to the explosion and there were no injuries or casualties. So clearly this guy, like now for sure we know he's not after violence. He's after yeah. fear. He's after attention. Yeah. Also, 15 minutes is a real quick time to like close a store out. Yeah, maybe they meant that like everyone had left 15 minutes prior. Yeah. But they say closed. Yeah. And I'm like... I've closed stores down. It takes a long time. It takes a bit. It takes more than a fi- Especially if it's just one person, it takes more than 15 minutes. Uh, in a city. So, like, it's going to be messy. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. And they're like, means to canvas for a message. They find a, like, book in a box. It says manifesto. They also have um, Cass from the bomb, sp- bomb squad oh, yeah. clear it first, which I yeah. like. I like that. They have her clear each and every one of these. Every single time. You know that actress was sweating in that bomb suit. Oh, God, I know. You know she was broiling. <laughs> and everyone else is wearing, like, it's supposed to be November in Seattle. They're all in t-shirts. Yeah. No one's wearing a sweater. Okay, Reed's wearing a sweater and it looks comfy, but, like, not enough of a sweater. I was like, it's guys, it's November in Seattle. Like, <laughs> Let's what are you try doing? and dress for the weather. There's a manifesto in the box. <laughs> There's a manifesto. And again, only bitch-ass bitches write manifestos after bombs. I'm just I'm saying. I'm pretty sure the Unabomber wrote a manifesto, too. He did. Right? Ted Kaczynski? Stupid. But then they pick up the box, and there's a big drawing of a robot on the floor, and I didn't like that. <laughs> and it's the little guy! It's, it's the little guy, guy that we've claimed! The guy's manifesto, his name, the name of it is A Guide to Practical Living. Yeah. I don't think practical's the word. I think he thinks it's practical. Yeah. I just like, I feel like there's a word for like no technology, you know, like. Well, isn't there Luddite, but isn't that not exactly the term somebody would use for themselves? You know what I mean? Yeah. It could have been like a guide to, a guide to basic living, a guide to living without technology, a guide to like something that wasn't just like practical. I don't know. This is a small uh, a small gripe of mine. Gripe perceived? Thank you. Next scene. <laughs> okay. You have put your gripe into the universe. I have received the said gripe. Let us move on. <laughs> His demand is stop all automated machinery that's replaced American workers within a week. Which is wildly impractical. Yeah, talk about practical living. What are you talking about? But I just think it's interesting that it's like, in the book, the book is about and Reed says this, the book is about robots have taken over the world because they learned how to reproduce with humans. So humans are dying out because they're slowly being, or they're being turned into robots. Yes. So I feel like if he's going to have a gripe, like why isn't his gripe with like prosthetics or like, like things that like transhumanism, like why is it like, I hate public buses because they tell you how far away they are. You know? Yeah, it is strange that he's like, I hate the automated assembly line. Yeah. And not Elon Musk's brain chip or whatever. Or even like if it was like a, like like MRIs or like artificial valves. Or like a pacemaker. Right. Things that put machines into our bodies. You know? Mm-hmm. But no, it's like the machine that automatically fills Coca-Cola bottles. You know, 
I mean, he kind of with the with the Dr. Emery Cook, the guy who he does end up killing. Right. That dude is, I think, very much linked to the theme mm-hmm. of like transhumanism, of like artificial yes. life and artificial intelligence. Yeah. We'll talk about what talk about what he says about his ethics, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. Yeah, let's go to let's go to this scene. Okay. Okay, so almost there. Yeah, and JJ says that if the in the manifesto that if the meets are not met, there'll be more bombs. And I wrote down JJ's back. She's finally back. Yeah. Also, Reed is like writing a list of words from this dude's manifesto. And then it isn't until Gideon goes Allegro that he's like, oh my God, all of these words are in one book. I'm like, you're staring at the list of words already. But sometimes you're just staring at something for so long you stop seeing it. I mean, I guess. And I feel like that Allegro is such like a specific name. These are specific names. Technoids, Mnuchins, Fednecks. Yeah, I know. It's it's weird, but I think it's a I think it's a case of like staring at something for so long you stop reading English. I mean, I just feel like if someone was like talking about droids and TIE fighters and the Death Star, and you're like, oh interesting, and then they went, Yeah, I love Luke Skywalker, and they go, Oh my god, wait, is all of that Star Wars? <laughs> like, yeah. Sorry, did the Death Star not give it away? Like, that's what this felt like. He All of a sudden he goes, oh my god, yeah, technoids, minutians. And I was like, so you recognize those words. You recognize, like, <laughs> I don't know, I don't know. Again, I also thought it was weird that when Gideon took the call from the guy, he didn't bring Reed in to remember the conversation or to transcribe it. It felt weird to me because yeah. Reed did that earlier. Yeah. And he does that later. That's like yeah. what they use him for. They're like, hey, replay this conversation, please. Thank you. And he does. It just felt weird to me that they hadn't started using Reed for that story purpose yet. You know what I mean? And I also think, and Reed also does like linguistic things. Like he's like earlier, he's the one who says, back to the place where it began. This is only the beginning. And he goes, of what? And blah, 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 like that. And so I feel like the phone call, he would have gone like, we have hundreds of members. So is this an organization? That's anti-robotics. Like, why are they, they're assuming it's just one dude? Because in the video, there's only one dude there, but, like, they have no proof it's the same dude every time. So, like, it could be an organization. I don't know why that angle wasn't Yeah, they just didn't have a lot of time. They had a lot of other shit to do this episode. They were booked and busy, this app, man. Honestly, booked busy. Schedule <laughs> filled. Get that money, etc. Okay. Reed did, talks about the book. Reed says, oh, the book's called Empty Planet with this one-hit wonder author, David Hansbury. And then I wrote down the words that were on the board, technoids, minutians, and fednecks. Um, And the story of the robots taking it over once they can reproduce with humans. And there's a hero who fights on the side of the humans, and his name is Allegro. And while they're talking about all this, JJ is like, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. And then she stands up and says, hey, there was a guy named Dr. Emery Cook on the bus something about like working with ai technology and reads like oh my god yeah emory cook he pioneered ai he created a software that could replicate itself which is like the whole thing in the book right yeah so like it makes sense that that guy would link them um and they talk about how it like mirrors the book and it makes sense and reads like oh well it makes sense that he would try to kill dr cook because in the story the guy fights technology but he also assassinates the scientists that made it and then JJ goes up to the whiteboard and is like, yeah, Dr. Cook was sitting directly in front of the woman who found the umbrella. So this was all for Dr. Cook. For like, him. Yeah, should have killed him. 
Which is really interesting. Although what I thought also was really interesting was like, why wasn't it like we should find the author? Like that doesn't come up until the guy's like, oh yeah, I know the author. I think it kind of comes up simultaneously because they're like, okay, so he's using the book. What are the odds the author is in Seattle? And like, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like it doesn't take long. It doesn't take long enough for me to be like, oh, that's a suspicious plot point. What's like they go talk to Dr. Cook right away, which I get, but no one was there. Yeah, Yeah. but but like with the way they used JJ this episode, they could have been like, JJ, can you get in contact with David Hansbury? You know, like even something like that. That's just like, well, I think they they kind of do because when they come together and they're done talking with Emery Cook. Oh, you're so right. You're right. Derek is, is on the phone with Garcia. Yeah. You are right. You're so I right. think they do. It's just weirdly timed and paced, but they do. Yeah. They don't announce things. that they're doing it. I guess they just like do it, which is fine. Which, good. But I didn't make the connection. <laughs> um, you're so right, though. Okay. Thank you. I always am. Okay. <laughs> D- uh, Dr. Cook comes in to talk. Can we talk about the way this guy looks? <laughs> this dude. He's, he like looks like look. almost hippie-ish. He looks almost hippie-ish, which I think fits. With what he I says, guess. he looks a little weird and hippie-ish, but I think it, I think it fits. I guess so. With what he says, I think it fits. Yeah, and Gideon's like, "Have you gotten any like threats about your work?" And he's like, "No." And Gideon's like, "Really?" <laughs> <laughs> like, sorry, the religious people don't like come for you for artificial life for science. And he says, "Like, no," because he shares the belief that creating life like creating ai doesn't mean that god doesn't exist yeah he says it like no science precludes the existence of a god right so like even if we're finding all of these details and things that doesn't mean god didn't make them which like cool um you would still get death threats from the right yeah like congratulations on making everyone on the internet like chill with you <laughs> what's that like <laughs> yeah, congrats on making everybody so chill about artificial life. Like, you literally... Cre- also, can we talk about how Criminal Minds exists in a world where AI, self-replicating AI exists? It's kind of weird, isn't it? Yeah, and that's just never mentioned. It's a little person of interest isn't it? It really is. It's a little Harold Finchy. <laughs> I just realized this, like, this second. I was like, wait a minute. Criminal Minds exists in a world where, like, self-replicating AI exists. Well, I think also his stuff doesn't... I think the the way that they talk about it makes me think that, like, his stuff is, like, working towards self-replicating AI, but it hasn't gotten there yet. You know what I mean? Sure. So maybe... And hear me out. Hear me mm-hmm. out. Hear me out. Criminal Minds and Person of Interest take place in the same timeline. Oh, so true. Because this would be about the time when... This would be after Finch has made the machine, which is in and of itself an artificial intelligence that can self-replicate if it wants to. So, like, I'm just saying maybe... Okay, hold on. Crossover fic? Where (laughs) JJ's trip to the Middle East, I'm trying to be vague on purpose, was actually a relevant number. Oh my god crossover fic where team machine gets sent to some little middle of nowhere town to protect a relevant number who's about to be targeted by a serial killer that the BAU are chasing 
crossover event of the century. Crossover fic where Team Machine goes to a tiny town because one of the team is the relevant number. Oh. So they're trying to solve a serial killing case and they suspect Team Machine because they're like, who the fuck are these people? They suspect John because he fits every profile ever. White man, 30s to 40s, standoffish, kind of angry, likes weapons, doesn't talk much, no family connections. And they're like, it's definitely this dude, right? But he's like super nice, keeps giving them chocolate, has a dog, you know, and they're like, maybe it's not him. They like go to his house once and Finch answers the door with their dog and they're like, fuck, we didn't expect the guy would be gay. God damn it. God damn it. And then it's a whole thing. (laughs) 20 minutes later. Okay, we have to go back to talking about just criminal minds now. I'm sorry I got us started on this, but I thought about it and I'm like, huh, you know. Okay. I think this is also like pre-Twitter. Like if Twitter was happening, this guy would be getting roasted 24 fucking 7. Yeah, absolutely. Also, I said Twitter and then I got a Twitter notification. You can't speak it out loud, otherwise the devil will hear you. So true. I really like this episode. I just keep getting very distracted. There's lots to talk about. Okay. I know, you really do. We do just keep getting derailed. Great season one episode. But we do need to talk about this app. Okay. So the man says that, like, he doesn't get hate because his ethical dilemma is, like, a lesser one because he's not trying to, like, combine humans and robots. He's not trying to, like, replace existing life with robotics. He's just creating, like, a new separate form of life. So, like, it's not ethics in the same way. Like, he's not, as far as we know, like, making a machine to be a servant to humans, and he's not making a machine to, like, replace humans. So he doesn't see their... He doesn't see himself as having an ethical dilemma. Which is really wildly incorrect. Because there's ethics in everything you do, but most definitely if you are creating life. Like, he can say that he's not making a machine to be in service to humans all he wants. Look at what we use AI for right now. It's for Mm -hmm. jobs that humans could do, but we don't want them to. It's for, like, identifying yeah. images, for moderating content on YouTube, yeah. you know? Like, yeah. it's just, you're such, you're so fucking stupid. You're, also, like, why did this postmodernist writer invite this dude in every semester? But also just, like, they take, like, three minutes to dip their toe in the ocean of conversation around AI. Like, they are, like, they're, yep, we're aware of the conversation being had about AI and ethics, but we're not going to fucking have it. Like, <laughs> like literally. And it feels so bad. Maybe yeah. this is because I've watched Person of Interest so many times. I know. I'm so used to there being a nuanced discussion about intelligence and life. Like, it took Person of Interest five seasons. Yeah to come around to like their thesis statement but they had a thesis statement you know what i meant like they always had a guiding thesis statement Mm -hmm. it's like okay i get that fundamentally criminal minds is not about ai but i feel like this episode was a great opportunity to go in a little bit deeper and they just they didn't don't yeah i think honestly i think this would have been a great episode to pick one person maybe even Derek, who like gets deep into it and we hear something personal like it just was like none of them have any personal stakes in this so like none of them are going to push it 
you know. But I also think that's the hard part of trying to get a lay person to relate to artificial intelligence is that it's hard for anybody to be like deeply personally related to it unless you're already like deep in the mud of ethics or whatever. Like, yeah. Finch worked so well on Person of Interest, my favorite show of all time that everybody should watch. Yeah. Because he was deep into the ethics and the ramifications of creating artificial intelligence, right? Yeah. I just think it was a really odd choice to make an episode about artificial intelligence. Like at all. You know? Because it was like weird. Because like it is such a deep topic and there are tons and tons of shows and books and like university degrees and all this stuff about artificial life and criminal minds was like have Gideon say like yeah but like what about God and the guy's like oh yeah I like God and Gideon's like cool it was just weird it was also (laughs) weird to me that like this dude felt so this guy the artificial intelligence guy so sleazy felt so sleazy but also felt like he was so out of line with everything else this technology guy was hating. This guy was hating on the bus. Right. And like the whole your thing garage was like, door opener. Like they're like, it's about it daily technology. Like self-replicating AI. Yeah. Like, he was hating on the bus. Yeah. He was hating on the app that tells you how far away the bus is. Like, it seems so such like a weird well, well, here's the detour thing. for me. And then you went back to like regular stuff. Here's the thing, though. I don't think that's true. I think they were wrong because we find out that the reason he targeted the bus, and they say this at some point, like, it wasn't about the bus at all. It was about this guy. It was about this guy. So, like, yes, it like, he was targeting a bus, but, like, he wasn't. He was targeting this guy. So I, I think they were wrong when they were talking about it being about everyday technology because, really, he's not even anti-technology. He's just trying to get the attention of this woman he thinks is his mother. So, like, yes. really... This guy's motivations have nothing to do with technology. All before they talk about ethics and technology and like whatever, his motives have nothing to do with that. And that makes it feel even weirder that they even bothered to spend three minutes talking about this because why? In the end, it had no ramifications on this guy's actual thing. Like he's doing all the stuff like in the book, but he doesn't give a shit about the book. He just wants this woman to notice her and say that she's his mom. He doesn't give a shit about the struggle. Or the real meaning of the, you know? So it's, like, weird that they put so much energy and effort into exploring that when ultimately it was just about this woman. And what, because we also talked to one other professor this ep, the black woman in the car. Oh, yeah, like five seconds. What is her area of study? Did they say what her area of study is? Is it also... Related to this? I think it's more, she's probably more related to postmodernism. Also, 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 um, postmodern literature, like, I I wish they had chosen for her not to be a postmodernist and instead be, like, a science fiction or, like, a futurist or something. Like, that's, like, Postmodernism is that's not postmodernism. She's a postmodern literature professor. So every semester she brings in a guy that makes artificial intelligence. 
Like what? Yeah. Hey James. Like, why... What I've is heard... postmodern literature? What makes it postmodern? Yeah, sure. So uh, there's three stages, right? Pre-modern, modern, and postmodern. Um, and it basically has to do with our connection to real life. Okay. Um, and okay. so, like, pre-modernism is like in like in art specifically is all about like it's emotional and like God, like all those arts that it's about, all the art that's like about religion stuff. That's pre-modernism. Everything, mm-hmm. the reason for everything is God, mm-hmm. pretty much. And then modernism is about reason and objectivity okay. and like the real world. So that's like modernism. It's mm-hmm. um, about modern industrial life. It's about like, social socio-political agendas um and realism basically okay and then postmodernism is kind of like being it's like the disillusionment of all of that where it's like skepticism and subjectivism relativism like a suspicion of reason like like being aware of the role of ideology in power structures so like 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 seeing like if i were to write um a paper about um lord of the rings on amazon and how like Tolkien was writing this like anti-war piece about how you know war is created by people in power to push their agendas and now Bezos is making a Lord of the Rings show on his incredibly powerful platform and he has all these money over political figures like mm-hmm. we could equate him to Sauron. Yeah. So like that line of thinking, that's like the postmodernist thinking. Okay. You know. Um, let me see if I can find a couple examples of postmodern literature. No, that kind of makes sense. You know, it's kind of just like the like fuck you. Um, no, there's no meaning in anything. Everything is about intertextuality. Everything is about like metafiction. Um Slaughterhouse so then, Five, Catch Twenty Two. It tends to be like anti-war. Um, so yeah. then, this postmodernist, right, English professor, mm-hmm. waiting for Godot is postmodern. Postmodern literature professor mm-hmm. wrote this book about the world being negatively taken over by technology. Yeah. And being saved by a 12-year-old who raises an army. Right. And then eventually kills his mother, who has yeah. become a robot. And she's proud of... So So I actually think I would love to read this book. It's narrated from the point of view of the mother. So yes. It's, na- it's narrated from the point of view of a woman who had to give up her child. And we never find out, like, why. But to me, it sounds like... Because we learned the story of the necklace that the professor has was given to her by like a man she loved very, very much. And he gave it to her 
and he was very anti-technology. We don't know what happened to him. Um, we can assume that he died. It's heavily implied that he's dead. Yeah, so I think he probably died. And I could see her being pregnant. And, you know, 26 years ago, she's probably like, she's still in Youngstown, Ohio. So it sounds like she was like, she was probably about to get out of her small town, mm-hmm. pregnant, her husband dies. So she gives up the baby and chooses education and a career over that. And so the story in the book of a woman has a kid, gives it up, and then slowly turns into the the Very monster she, she was hated. trying to save. Yeah. yeah. She was like trying to save her kid from like robots and then she turned into a robot. So when that kid that she gave up to save shows up and says, you did save me. You did make sure that I am anti-robot. You made me see through the curtain, mm-hmm. but now you're a robot and you did all of that, but now you have been consumed by the evil and I need to kill you to save you. And she's like, yes, thank you. You know, I gave you up to save you and now it's your turn to save me. So there's that's the like ethical thing. But I do think it's very postmodern in that the AI merging with humans, you know, you could definitely see the AI as like either real AI or a metaphor for like um, radical ideology or like big government or something where people are being indoctrinated into something that makes them uniform. Like, mm-hmm. like, like the government is turning us into sheep like that whole metaphor of like we are all being turned into like the same monolithic thing and no one thinks for themselves we're all part of a bigger system that is slowly destroying the human race by taking us over and it's going to take a child someone who is innocent someone who hasn't been brainwashed yet to see that to see what's happening and to be the one to take a stand against it like it's the future generations that need to recognize the harmful ideology and push back against it. So I do think this is a really postmodern book. Um, but Criminal Minds, like I got all of this from the bullshit read throughout. Yeah. Like in two sentences. But that's because I am a literature person and I can yes. extrapolate from the clues they gave us. But like a regular person reading this, just like JJ, where JJ was like, wow, I thought this was some like geeky sci-fi book, you know, like, I think a lot of people can miss that really intense meaning. And like, clearly, when she says like, this is the only story I needed to tell, clearly this, the writing of this book was something cathartic for her. Like, yeah, she gave up this kid. And so she wrote a story about how like, even though she did that, this kid is going to go on to do great things and is going to help people like kind of like um, soothe her guilt. Therapy in a way. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. It almost feels very like therapeutic in a way. Yeah. I mean, that's journaling out her issues, but with an extended use of metaphor. (laughs) Exactly. And I mean, that's the whole point of stories, right? Connecting with other people and being able to parse yourself and your emotions and what your feelings. Um, and yeah, so it's just, it's, it's interesting that they, like someone came up with that. Someone came up with Empty Planet and put all of this stuff into it. And then 
in the episode, Gideon is like, but like, where's God if you're making technology? Like, nobody gets the <laughs> metaphor, you know? <laughs> I don't it's know. really, it, it's very interesting because... Sorry, I hope our listeners, I hope our listeners enjoyed my analysis of a fictional book in Criminal Minds. Yeah, no, it is interesting. It just, I think it is interesting. It's just so, they don't touch on that. And she, like, Mm -hmm. it's just strange to me that they have this whole, like, she is a postmodernist who wrote a sci-fi book. And now her postmodern students need to learn about artificial intelligence and right like i think i think the big something along those lines that the other professor taught you know what i mean i think the big problem with the that and the case of it and like the way they looked at it was that like ultimately empty planet is a story about a woman who gave up a child in the hope of that child having a better future and that it was the right decision. Mm-hmm. That's what that book's about. And it is couched in the allegory of AI and transhumanism. But the show thinks the show is focusing on the AI and transhumanism until the very end when it becomes about the woman and the family aspect. Yeah. The relationships. And so I think that's why someone like this guy who you know, Dr. Cook is purely the AI. It has nothing to do with the emotional core of the book feels disconnected. Yeah. That's why he feels like such a weird detour that we take. Yeah. And that's why like the fact that originally they said it was about the buses and about the everyday technology, like, oh, this guy's doing it because of technology. And they, the it doesn't feel like the team under like, there's no moment where the team fully understands that it has not, it really has nothing to do with technology. It's about the emotional core. Like there's a moment when, when Gideon's like, Oh my God, he thinks she's his mom, but it doesn't feel like Gideon specifically, I guess, makes that shift. It's like technology, technology, technology. Oh wait. Oh my God. He thinks she's his mom, you know? Yeah, it feels very... I feel like we should have had more of Reed explaining what the fuck this book is, you know? And I understand how that wouldn't be good for TV. You would need to work to find a way to present that information in an interesting way. But it felt like we needed an extended talk about what postmodernism is and about this metaphor, this larger metaphor that Empty Planet is working in, Empty Planet, the the fake book is working in you know what i mean yeah and i think i think some i i didn't like the way that they introduced the subplot of the mother and the child it felt very thrown in there at the last minute literally reed was just writing out the subplot you know and gideon saw it and was like huh what mom what mom and he's like oh yeah the whole thing's from the mom's point of view and it was like like such a massive like yeah 11th hour twist right to a book I like, think it, I think, I don't know if it would have made for good TV or not, but like there could have been like a moment of the team, like when they were all standing around where Reed is like explaining the book and they're like, wait, it's from the mom's point of view. Oh, well, like who's, wait, who's the mom then? Like, oh, Allegra, like if they had like, Allegra's the child she gave up. 
So like, so wait, so is it about it? And Derek's like, okay, hold on, Dean. Is it about AI or is it about a mom? You know, and they could have had like a moment of Reed being like, I guess technically it's about the mom. And they're like, so we should try and find this guy's mom. You know, like they could have had like that moment where they explore this a little bit. It's like, why introduce something like postmodernism and introduce something like this story and the ethics of AI and all of that and do nothing with it? Like, I feel like Criminal Minds, if you are going to pick a heavy topic, talk about the topic. I would have loved to see Criminal Minds dive into, actually dive into artificial intelligence and yes, postmodernism and stuff like that. But they like, yeah. I think they kind of, this is probably not the best way to say it, but they kind of shot themselves in the foot by blowing up a bus first. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I think like, I think there are like a few things they could have, like a few problems. One is that they're a show about the government. They are a show about the government. They're also a show about catching serial killers. Yeah. So, but like postmodernism is something that's like inherently like re-examine ide- the, po- the ideologies of the powerful, re-examine the way our major social structures are built, yada, yada, yada. And like, they're the feds. So They literally are the government. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, why would you introduce something that's like inherently at its essence critical of your main characters? And- Two, I think that I think that they could have had a lots of good character moments in this, you know, because there's like Hotch, who has a son he's neglecting, mm-hmm. Gideon, who has completely lost contact with his children, JJ, whose father left her and whose mother was negligent, mm-hmm. Reed, whose mother is a schizophrenic and could not care for him but loved him so much, Derek whose father died in front of him, like all of them are either parents or have parental issues. And so the fact that Empty Planet is ultimately about a parent who has to make a very painful and difficult choice to ensure that their child has a good future, that could have been something. And the way they all approach the story and approach the unsub after that conversation would have told us a lot about their characters and instead of that they were like what if we get a hippie guy to say self-replicating ai is in an ethical dilemma and also he knows the author so he can introduce them like okay sure yeah i guess you could do that you know <laughs> it also i think would have been a really i think it would have been interesting if you know like while reed was talking about the plot of this book and he just sort of like in passing mentions that the whole thing is told from the mother's point of view, I would have loved if the team had jumped in more on that and been like, okay, so it's not just about the technology. The technology doesn't matter. The technology is the metaphor. What really matters is the mother. Like, it just seemed so weird to me that, like, even after they had, like, Gideon had that moment of, like, so it's the mother. She's the mother. What, like, there's something there. They, I just, like, felt like they just sort of, like, all right, end episode. Bye. Yeah, I mean, I mean, by the time they figured it out, they realized he would be going to her. Because, like, there were all the bombs. They said it was a distraction, but a distraction for what? And then he realized, oh, he's going after her. We got to go, you know? But, like, even when we described it, he says, he describes the book as robots take over the world when they learn to reproduce with humans, and Allegro is the hero that fights on the side of humans. Like, the, he literally could have said, a mother tells a story of how her son fought against the robots 
when they started taking over the world and reproducing with humans. But it also feels very read in that way to sort of have that blind spot of... That's true. Like not prioritizing the emotional core. Yeah, he's more like, technically the sci-fi part of this is that a 12-year-old boy raises an army, which in and of itself is ethically wild to fight against the robots. Also ethically bonkers. Like... (laughs) there's just it's just so i don't know i'm really upset because like this book number one sounds like a banger oh my god so good if you have any book recs that sound like this if you have any sci-fi book recs send them to us we're at, at wheels up pod everywhere it's just like i don't know it feels so disappointing maybe it's because i'm used to again person of interest the best show of all time everybody please watch it actually diving into like what it means to be ethical in the age in the digital age that sort of thing you know Maybe I'm just too spoiled. And then Criminal Minds, which is about bombs and stuff, does not do that. Okay, fine. Anyway, we should get back to talking about the episode. We've been recording for two hours. We haven't come to my favorite Derek scene yet. So ends the literature lecture. The guy, he's talking to them. And then they're like, oh, do you know David Hansberry? And he's like, yeah, I'm friends with the author. So you're like, oh, cool. And then Derek and Garcia are talking. And Derek goes... Okay, well, what's his real name? And she goes, her real name, my little chauvinist, is Ursula Kent. Which is so funny. Which is very funny. But I also was like, I mean, is that shop? I mean, it was a male pseudonym. Yeah, like. So, like. It it sounds like like every British dude's name. Yeah, like, why would I I think he gets a pass for that one. I would give him a pass for that one. Like, (laughs) sorry for assuming the male name was a pen name for a guy. I don't know. And I mean, I guess I'm very aware of like, I said I'm very aware, I can't remember his name, George, George. There have been women, obviously, like the fact that like J.K. Rowling went by J.K. Rowling because books with female authors get less success than books with male authors. That's why a lot of female authors write J.D. Robbs, J.K. Rowling. They write like that because it's, yeah. So had the fact they're female. Oh my god, it's sexism. <laughs> Correct. Uh, yes. Yeah. So Ursula Kent. Also, I like that they called her Ursula Kent because Ursula K. Le Guin. Yeah. Is a very famous sci-fi author. Yeah, I like that too. Yeah, I was like, okay, Ursula. Like, <laughs> normal people from Ohio aren't named Ursula, but go off, I guess. Like, <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, she's a literature professor at Saint Denis University, where the floppy disc bombs were set off and then she says something in french to him and he says i love it when you speak that voulez-vous coucher stuff to me (laughs) they also the netflix subtitles do not translate what she says in french it just Uh, says speaking french thanks real helpful unhelpful to me thank you real helpful thank you (laughs) like so we find out that she's a postmodernist and that cook gives a lecture every semester and then i wrote no one ever thought to like contact this artist but i guess now you've pointed out like that is what garcia was doing was getting that yeah they kind of they come together at the same time yeah the dude cook refuses a government goon squad his words of protection well before that gideon tells him something like isn't it a coincidence that like he's doing this and like whatever and then cook says some pretentious quote about how like coincidences our mind playing tricks on us and i like this reed goes you see the mind finds patterns and gideon goes i understood him 
And Reed's like, no. I know, he's very much like okay. child who was excited to show his dad his math test, and his dad's like, all Gideon right. is savage to read this episode. He really is. But also, I feel like he needed to be in that room with that cook dude. You need to be like, I understood what you were saying. I just think it's stupid. You know, he yeah. needed to play that card. Yeah, there's just like several times this episode. Like when Derek is like, oh, it's grunge and expensive coffee. And Reed's like, I don't think that's enough reason to be a terrorist. And Gideon's like, it could be if he thinks it is. I was like, yeah. okay. And then in here, right. Reed's, like, Reed's like, oh yeah, the body. He's like, I understood him. Shut up. And we're going to get to the <laughs> best moment in a second. Yeah, so the guy is like not impressed. Uh, and Gideon offers security for him. And the guy says no. The guy's like, not nah, thanks. <laughs> I don't, do I look like the kind of guy who wants a government goon squad following him yeah. around all day? Okay, go off. He leaves. So then Derek walks in. And Gideon just goes, oh, he walks in. He's like, I'm not going to have your corporate goon squad, goon squad, blah, blah, blah. And Derek's like, goon squad? <laughs> and Gideon goes, oh, do you ever talk to some? Have you ever talked to someone who continuously wants to show you they're smarter than you? And Derek just like gestures to Reed and goes, every day. And Gideon says, I hate that. <laughs> I was just like, okay. okay. Right to Reed's face, huh? Damn. I also like how Reed did not look up, did not acknowledge this at all. He was just like, yeah, okay, probably. Yeah. But I also like how, like, Gideon is like, when Reed does it, it's fine because I know I'm smarter than Reed. But when that dude does it, it pisses me off because that dude does not know I'm smarter than him. That sort of thing. Yeah. It felt very, like, power play-y. Also, the translation of Penelope's French is, I'm always here for you, my dear. Oh, so romantic. So romantic. So romantic. I ship them so hard, like, for real, for real. Literally, it's so tragic that they never actually... I hate that. And then Derek's like, his name is Ursula. And Reed's like, Ursula Kent, a professor at the... Blah, 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 blah. And Reed, Derek is just like, I fucking told you, Gideon. Look at him. Case in point. It. Yeah, exactly. Gideon, he's doing it! <laughs> Gideon, he's doing the thing! <laughs> yeah. And then we're going to go see him. And Reed's like, can we stop by and get a copy of The Empty Planet? I haven't read it since I was six. And Derek says, I was still writing my big wheel at six gideon tells derek to have a security detail on that guy anyway they're gonna go to talk to ursula and then it cuts to cook he parks his car gets out and it explodes and he does die rip rip in pieces rip um and i wrote down pressure sensor it's actually called a compression detonator but i was still correct the bau goes to the car they're like okay when he sat down it armed when he stood up it exploded and I made a note, I was like, oh, so he did it while they were while Cook was at the FBI field office. That's fucking bold. That is really bold. And I feel like nothing comes of the fact that it is absolute And no one mentions it again. Bonkers. Like he put a bomb in a car. One, he knew Cook was at the FBI. Yeah. He would have had to have known he was there. And two, he put a bomb in a car in the parking lot of the FBI field office. Okay. Like, what? Like, what? What? Uh, and they were like, the reason he did the car was that there was no chance of failure this time. Like, uh, this wasn't about getting his message across. It was about killing this dude. And Hotch is like, and then Hotch said he did it while he was at the office. Get the CCTV. So then Allegro calls Gideon again while they're in the car at the bookstore. And he's like, I'm going to do it again. Yada, yada, yada. 
and they talk for a little bit and then finally Gideon is like where are you what's going on what's happening blah 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 and the guy's like yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna blow up more more people actually and Gideon's like you're gonna commit murder murder Allegro murder you're better than this Allegro after he has already committed one murder I know and then Allegro says murder is it murder during war and Gideon's like what war it's a fantasy book and also wildly untrue I think it's still murder besties pretty sure it is still murder I mean, I get what he's saying, right? Like, if, a, if like, a troop on the battlefield kills the enemy, they're, they're not, like... Like, everyone who fights in the army is not then put on trial for murder. So, like, I get it. But you're just kind of, like, in Seattle killing <laughs> people. So I think it's murder. Still pretty yeah. sure it's murder if you're just the one dude. Yeah. The guy's, like, have my manifesto posted in the Seattle ledger. And Gideon's like, you don't want, like, the New York Times? And he goes, no, Seattle Ledger. And Gideon's like, mm, okay. Uh, Reed comes back and is like, I got the book, last copy. It's getting really popular again. How funny. Um, I don't know why they said that. It doesn't come. It- Nothing comes oh. to Okay. And then Hosh calls him and is like, yeah, there's a pipe bomb at the waterworks. So we're going to go there. Um, oh, my God, this is so cute. Gideon, they like, they go to leave to go to Ursula. And Gideon's like, put your seatbelt on. <laughs> And he like puts his seatbelt on. Like, they yeah. really do this cute like seatbelt, and then they both do it in unison. Like, okay, dad, like adorable. It's so funny. It's actually like hilarious, though. It is actually really fun. It's such a good little character moment. Yeah. Like, number one, why did Gideon take his seatbelt off in the first place? Was he in the bookstore with Reed? Did he need to supervise? Like, what is going on there? They go to the university, they talk to Ursula, and they explain that the bomber sees the book as prophetic. And the professor is like, it's a fiction novel, why would anyone take it as prophetic? Um, and Gideon said, like, oh my god, Gideon is so rude. He's like, hey, you know Dr. Emery Cook? And she's like, oh yeah, great friend of mine. Well, he's dead. I was like, He very uh, much <laughs> does not ease her into it. No, he's like, oh hey, you know this guy? And she's like, oh yeah, I know that guy, yeah. And he's like, okay, he's dead. And she's just like, well, uh, I thought you were going to like talk to me about him. I didn't think you were going to tell me he was dead. Cool. It also, everything you've told me about postmodernism in our little literature corner, why is this woman surprised that somebody sees a work of postmodernist literature as prophetic? I, Does that make sense, the way I'm I, wording that? Yes, I do understand. Um, because what you've described to me... Mm-hmm. So far sounds like literature that is, in a way, introspective and prophetic to what we have, you know, like. Yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. I think, though, that, like, there's a difference between, like, you read 1984 and you're like, yeah. oh, shit, yeah. Yeah. But you don't go out and start shooting congressmen. Or is it more framed as, like, a... Why does anybody think my book, my book specifically, is prophetic? Yeah, and I also think that, like, a lot of times, especially fiction books, are meant to be taken as allegories. Yes. Or, like, something to be aware of. 
you know, like I've read a book, like if I read a book like that, for me, I, I would probably pick up on the emotional core of it, but I would also mm-hmm. be like, oh my God, this is too fucking real. AR is fucking everywhere. I have an Alexa, you know? Yeah. And I would move on with my life. But somebody yeah. who's, who's already in a fragile mind state, who's looking for hints and clues and something might read, like when I read QAnon, I'm like, this is nonsense. But people who are already in that mind space, mm-hmm. QAnon is telling the future, you know? And yeah. so I think that like, it's labeled fiction, but it's for somebody you know, looking for a belief system yeah. you need to find it where you can get it kind yeah. of thing and they're also like there are books like kern Vonnegut is someone like that like writing slaughterhouse five like that's very much a critique of the prison system even mm-hmm. though it's a fictional book about animals you know so i think it's it's like that but i think also slaughterhouse five is a good one to compare it to if someone read slaughterhouse five and then went out and started killing and like they took it literally it's about animals. And I think that's the thing about this book, right? She wrote it as a metaphor for giving up the child, for leaving, even, like, I could see, like, leaving the oppressive small town she was in, like, seeking freedom from that monotony, from the weight of from a small Ohio. town. From yeah. Ohio. <laughs> from um, Ohio in general. Yeah. You know, and so for her, the rest of it is just the decoration for that story. But when yeah. he reads it, it's that story and also the thing about the mom. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it, like reading a story, like you could read something like Lord of the Rings and take it as a war metaphor, like, t- like understand that Tolkien was dealing with his PTSD and the loss of men he was close with and understand that it's, it's cathartic for him to write about this like friendship. Mm-hmm. Or you could read Lord of the Rings and think that Tolkien is right when he writes about Middle Earth, he's writing about the Hollow Earth theory and that Lord of the Rings actually takes place in the center of the Earth. And <laughs> the reason these things are happening, I'm not even joking. This is a real conspiracy theory. I'm not even joking. Okay. There's a thing called Hollow Earth theory where basically like the crust, there are also people living inside on the inside of the crust, basically. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, that shit, but okay. Yeah, like when Hitler went to the North Pole, the theory is that he was trying to find um, an entrance to the Hollow Earth. Um, that's a real thing. Bat shit. Hmm. Bat shit. Bat shit. But again, you can, someone believes it. Somebody believes it. Somebody somewhere believes it. And someone out there is doing what they can to prove it, you know? And thankfully, they're not trying to prove it by burrowing into the Earth's crust with a giant laser, you know? Yeah. So I I think that's the kind of like, you know, and something as intangible as AI taking over humans, like he doesn't have to know anything about AI. He doesn't have to break into, yeah, the Large Hadron Collider. He doesn't need to be a James Bond villain. Yeah. He can just be a bomber. He could blow up an Alexa factory. That's a big blow if you don't think large on a large scale, you know? So I think that's kind of like, you know, a rational, quote unquote, rational person, especially the author of this book who knows it's about catharsis, is like, sorry, someone read this and thought I was telling them to destroy technology, you know? 
it's not about that. So I thought that was like interesting. We need to talk about this episode. We've been recording <sighs> this for two hours and 15 so- minutes. Okay, stop giving me a time count. Well, it's 1030. I wake up at 6 a.m. Okay, that's fair. Okay, the hostage secures the bomb at the waterworks. There's another one at the post office. Great. Yeah, Hotch and Derek are on the run with some like indiscriminate amount of time for five different bombs before they get to the one with the professor at the car. Right. Oh, yeah, that does all happen at the same time. Yeah. I think this guy gets around. This guy's booked and busy. Booked and busy. <laughs> There's four bombs that he out runs the FBI or five bombs that he outruns the FBI to get and then he still has time to go and get this one lady's in the car across town? I want to think about this real quick. Okay. The timeline is buck wild here. The unsub is walking to the lot to the library when he calls Gideon. So he's on the last bomb that he sets. There's four bombs that he sets. The waterworks, the post office, one I don't remember, and the library. So There's a social calling... security office in there as well. Okay. That's the other one, I think. Yeah, that's the third one. And then the last one is the library. Yeah. Um, and when he's on the phone with Gideon, we see him walking past the windows of the library. Yeah. So he's setting that fourth bomb. And I'm going to assume he set them in the order that they find them because it makes sense that, like, the first one you said is found first, you know? Yes. Um. So he's placing that fourth bomb when he's on the phone to Gideon. So I would guess that so like so like he's he is placing the fourth bomb when Hosh becomes aware of the bomb at the waterworks. Yes. Because Gideon hangs up that call and gets the call from Hosh. So those are yes. kind of happening simultaneously. So I would guess after the library, he goes and he puts the car in that woman's bomb. We also yes. she's also not that woman is not at the university. She is she specifically mentions it because Ursula Kent says that her office is across town. Right. I think he was like working his way to that woman's office. And mm-hmm. then that's why it's such a long time. It turns into night before he gets back to that makes Ursula's office. You know what I mean? I think he kind of worked his way across the city and back. And I also think it makes sense that he would be planting those four bombs not near the university. Yes. He's trying to draw them away. Yeah. So that makes a lot of sense that he would put the four... And then while they're finding those four bombs, he's placing the bomb in that woman's car. Yes. And then once he has done that, he makes his way back to the university. And it takes him a while to get there because he doesn't meet Ursula until it's like Mm -hmm. dark outside. She like falls asleep in her chair. Yeah, and wakes up to him. So like it's dark outside. Yeah. So okay. So that's kind of the time of it all. Yeah. Which kind of makes sense. It's less egregious than most Criminal Minds timelines. Yeah. Also, I think it, so... Because it's logical, at least. Yeah. So what he would, okay, so his his timeline is, he goes to the field office, he puts the bomb in Dr. Cook's car. Yes. When is that done, that's done, he leaves and immediately starts planting those other four bombs. Yes. As he's finishing the last one, the first one starts being discovered. And so mm-hmm. while they're discovering those, like, it's like Cook's death is the cover for planting those four bombs. And then those four bombs are the cover for Dr. Brazier's car. Yes. And then Dr. Brazier's car is the cover for going to the university. Him getting all the way back. Yeah. I like to imagine that he's walking this whole time because he's apparently very anti-technology. He takes the bus. 
<laughs> yeah. So like it takes him a while to get back across town to the university. <laughs> Which makes me laugh. He would have to carry like he would have to in a bag have Cook's pressure bomb. Yes. The four pipe bombs. Yes. Dr. Brazier's bomb. Which was another one of those pressure bombs, yeah. And then the pipe bomb he has at the university. Those are all just in his car. In his bag. That he's like riding around with. He doesn't even have a duffel. We see him with like a backpack. This dude's shoulders have to be so jacked. How do you put two pressure sensor bombs in a backpack? very carefully the answer is so carefully and then put five pipe bombs also in that backpack like so carefully what so wild okay good job guy yeah good job to him you did it good job work king i mean you do murder people never mind don't work but gideon and reed and the woman are in her office and he sees her fiddling with her necklace and realizes that it's a it's the robot with the arrow also can we talk about the fucking amazing vision this guy must have to like sit in a lecture hall and see that tiny ass necklace on her neck well, it is kind of a big necklace. Maybe my, I just have bad vision, I guess. You literally do. Also, I think, but I think he when he points to like what seat he sat in. It's pretty funny. I think it was like really right up front. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. It's the robot of the era necklace. It's actually the inspiration for the book. And she says like, this is when she says like, there was a man who was really important to her. And he gave her this necklace um, and he like adopted the anti-technology craze before, <laughs> before it was cool um, early on. And Gideon's like, do it when you teach. And she goes, yep. And then he gives her pictures of like the etchings and drawings of the robot. And one thing I really like is the second she sees them, she takes her necklace off. It is just yeah. immediately painted. Yeah, I did like that. It's a good episode. I know we were shitting on their portrayal of postmodernism, but it's a good this episode. This is a really good episode. As yeah. referenced, by the way, we've had two hours of discussion about it, you know? Literally. Yeah. Um, so then she's talking about, like, postmodernism, and she says, like, why would postmodernists be anti-technology? A lot of postmodernists see technology as art, which I guess so. But I think it's also a reference to the way that she sees it as she sees like technology as sort of like a storytelling device. Right. Like for her, it was like an art device. Yeah. Um, How do postmodernists feel about technology? So funny you ask. I'm opening a PDF right now. <laughs> so true. Love this for us. So we have Heidegger's essay from 1953 called The Question Concerning Technology. We have Foucault's Discipline and Punishment in 1975 and Haraway's Manifesto for Cyborgs in 1985. So basically the postmodernist questions about technology are ethico-political, about collective well-being and freedom and sustainability, and it really came out of post-war, where yeah. people were critiquing utilitarianism, um, and that it helps the dominant social party stay in power because they're going to be able to afford to create and maintain technology. technology. Um, and it's non-democratic 
because it's money you know you have to be Technology. able to build it etc yeah, et et apparently not okay yeah. yeah so there's different definitions of technology and one it's an instrument just like a neutral means to an end um in the second it's an inventive activity because humans inherently create so i think professor kent obviously thinks of it sort of like as that first one of yeah the sort of more neutral definition yeah which I suppose I can see then why she would invite a AI researcher into her class if she thinks of technology as supposedly neutral or... Yeah, and the third definition is um, communally constructed, involving numerous agents and constraints. So, like, in order to make an AI, you need a team, you know? So, like, technology inherently brings people together in the act of creation, which is very, very human. Yeah. Okay. Fair um, enough. Yeah. You've answered my question. The show did not. Hence why no. I asked you. No, and again, like I understand that her her literature makes sense because it's a book. She wrote a book. Yeah. But then it's like technology based. So then it became like about science. And I was like, yeah, but she's like not science, you know? Really, yeah. not really. Like, I know she wrote a sci-fi book, but, like, she's also, like, a postmodern literature, which just include a lot of science fiction. So, like, I get it. But, like, there's a difference between, like, discussing ethical theories and incorporating technology into, like, metaphors and literature and another with, like, coding and AI program. Yeah. It's just weird. Yeah. Herman Wines. Didn't quite know what it wanted to say with this one, but it said enough yeah. interesting things that I was like, yeah, okay. I know it's like science, but there is a little bit of like obviously mysticism in all of this. Mm-hmm. The idea of like an AI taking on life and choosing to take over people and all that kind of stuff. Like that's a little like magic. It's science magic, but it's like kind of magic. There's, I um, think, a little bit of mysticism involved in all art, just because creating yeah. is a little bit of yeah. mysticism at its core. Yeah. Anyway, let's talk about Criminal Minds again. (laughs) God, I need to get another degree. Okay. (laughs) (sighs) Yeah, okay. They're like, hey, any students that stuck out? She's like, no. Uh, And she's going to read the manifesto and see if she recognizes the writing. Then Derek calls Gideon and is like, hey, look, we went to four different places. They were all small bombs. None of the locations were connected with technology. It was like a post office, a library, the waterworks, and the social security office. Like, Which is funny because social security is notorious for being the absolute shit worst with technology. Yeah. Which yeah. it's just funny to me. And it's interesting. Gideon makes the comment that they were all government buildings, but then makes no like. We will connection. not think further about that. Yeah. Yeah, and I was like, I mean, it's very postmodernist to target like the government. Like, you could think of like it's Fight Club, the man. Think of like Fight Club as a postmodernist piece. Yeah, you know that kind of thing. Um, and then they're like, maybe it's a distraction, but like distraction from what? Uh, and then Reed is reading the Empty Planet book, and instead of reading the manifesto, she's just like staring at him while he reads. And she doesn't say anything. In the moment, nothing happens. But she's literally just watching him read quickly. And I was just kind of like, huh. <laughs> what does this mean? <laughs> okay. Um, whatever. Uh, and then 
Gideon comes back in with a piece of paper and it's like, is this your syllabus? I guess it must have been on like a board outside her office or something. Yeah. And she's like, yeah. And the, there are two guest lecturers and one was Dr. Cook and one is Dr. Brazier. Um, I, I do. So I didn't write down what she said Dr. Brazier does. But Gideon's like. It was also something technology related. Yeah. I believe it wasn't literature. I remember thinking it was weird that she brought in two guest lectures for technology in her literature course. Yeah, I wish they had fucking told us what this course was. Like, is it like technology? Is her course technology in postmodern literature? Because that would make sense. Even if they had said that, everything else I think would have been okay. I would have been like, now I know why we're talking about technology. Yeah. And it said it's she teaches postmodern literature and also wrote a sci fi book. Also, like, teaching doesn't work like that like i don't say like oh yeah i study like i like i say theater to like layman like you (laughs) but like when i talk to theater people i don't say oh yeah 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 i i research theater no i have to get much more specific and like bestie monica sure her phd is gonna be in like um like medieval literature but her focus of study is like chaucer and literature from like one hundred year span like people get really specific yeah so like they just keep being like she teaches postmodern literature like what about postmodern literature like who did she study like what aspect of it even to a layman it sounds really weirdly generalized yeah and like if you're getting a phd it's not generalized yeah you know you go in very specific on a phd yeah and like even in my master's my thesis wasn't like hey it's about theater my thesis was 90 pages about three specific plays yeah and the way they used the thing you know that my thesis is about so just the fact that like and they couldn't even give us like a fucking course title like does she only teach this one course and if so, which what would be is it? weird because most professors teach multiple courses, right? So, like, does she just teach one course? I would guess she teaches like three, unless she's like a dean or the head of the department, which they didn't say she was. So, like, what the f- like? I just anything. Give me anything more here, criminal minds. <sighs> Gideon is like Morgan. Go check on Doctor Brazier. Then we see Doctor Brazier on her way to her car. I did like this. She's trying to get to like a lecture or a seminar and she's like running late and she's like save my seat it's not rude tell them there's a vip coming it's me i'm the vip like i, I loved she opened up she like receives a call as she's going and she like picks it up and you expect it to be morgan or yes. hodge or somebody but no she's just like girl i'm on my way like don't worry about it just like yeah. please <laughs> save me a seat she's very like it takes you off guard you're like Oh no. Like now but, like, this is she bad. really doesn't know. Yeah. And then you see her like getting like she pulls her keys out, like puts the key in the door, and you see them running up the stairs like, I hope she hasn't gotten in her car yet. And the second they see that you see her get in her car, and it's just like Ugh. I already like you so much. And you're Ugh. she starts the car, she backs up, they're like, Stop the car! <laughs> Stop the car. And she's like, uh, what? What? She like drops her phone and then Morgan is like FBI and she just goes, Girl, I'm gonna call you back. It's like, yeah, Yeah. like, what do you say? Like, uh, she literally goes, girl, let me call you back. (laughs) 
Uh, and yeah, Derek's like, park it, don't touch the ignition. And then he looks under the seat, and I guess you see the bomb. I don't, here's the thing. I don't know what the underside of a car seat looks like. So when he bends down and looks at it, I'm like, is there a bomb? <laughs> is the bomb? Well, also, it's still a pipe bomb. It just has that little pressure plate thing attached to the top of it. Right. Yeah. So. But again, I do not know what the, like, slidey system of my car looks like under the seat right there. So when he like looked down, I was like, is this good or bad? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, continue. Yeah, and then he's like, hey, you're sitting on a bomb. And that's when she's like, oh my god. Like, at first she's like, what? The FBI? Like, what is happening? And then he's like, yeah, you're sitting on a bomb. And she's just like, oh, I'm gonna die. Like, <laughs> uh, which is very emotional. And then we find out that the bomb is basically like a door latch. So they need to slide a plate into the doormat latch and mimic the pressure as if she was still sitting on it when Cass gets it out she's like holding it like together yeah and I was like how are you gonna put that down yeah like I guess they would have to attach like clamps to either side or something or to keep it close or somebody else goes in and like deactivates it or something while she's while holding she it. it I was just like looking at her and I was like um, the second you let go of that, it's gonna explode. That's bad for you. Yeah, it was so weird. She also puts her, like, helmet on, and she's got, like, a suit, and I was like, if that explodes in your face, like, okay. That helmet ain't helping. And we know this one's gonna, to kill. You know, it's yeah. not peas this time. Um, anyway. Hodge tells Gideon that Morgan, like, won't leave the woman. Like. Yeah he's staying with her and i was like that is so morgan like that is i love this connection that morgan forms with this woman yeah i think he like sees that she's scared and she's like reciting a psalm and stuff and he just like grabs her hand and he is not about to let go yep he's just like there for her i love this morgan moment i love it the like protection and safety that morgan gives comes in all shapes and forms and sometimes mm-hmm. it's just him standing there holding your hand because yeah. you're scared i, also I, think, I love this i think this is one of the first times we see morgan being sincere without being angry like yeah. either, either okay. he's like jokey jokey i like the ladies jokey garcia or he's like yeah i'm dead fucking serious right now get on the floor how dare you touch that kid how dare you kill kids you know this is the first time we see him being serious and um and emotional i mean you know he's not like overwhelmed by emotion but he's connecting with another person Mm -hmm. and like his ability to connect with people and make them feel at ease is part of him yeah you know like that's he's a people person yeah, he is. And I, he is. And I think this is the first time we really get to see that, like, he's not just a playboy. He's not just, like, the angry guy. He's not just, like, whatever. That, like, he's a, he's like a good guy. Yeah. You know? Beyond he holds this stuff. woman's hand and sits next to a bomb yes. so she won't be alone. Yeah, fully ready to die so that she doesn't have to die alone. Like, that's insane! That means so much. And he never explained himself. Hotch is like, Hotch goes like, AJ Morgan, I'm ordering you to step away. And Derek is like, absolutely not. 
sorry, Hotch, I'm not going anywhere. And even Hotch is like nods and like moves. And I was like, yeah. I also think it's very nice that they have this such distinctly moment of human connection in an episode where they're talking a lot about technology and postmodernism, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I think it's good that they have this very human connection moment between two people who do not know each other and will not meet again after today, right? Like, yeah. this is I, that's a good point. This is somebody that you see once in your life, and he has just made all the difference. Like, that's insane. Yeah, like, moments are so cool. I love this shit. I know. Like, she's gonna remember him forever. Exactly. You know? Yeah, for sure. I, you're totally right. I do really, really like that especially because like he has bomb squad experience so like how many times has he seen people die you know and he's like absolutely not i know the terror of this especially because you know she can't see it um and then when casey like gets ready to go and get the bomb he he's still looking this woman in the eyes yeah and he goes he goes casey she's got one of my hands or like you know one of my hands you might are hers. need the other one yeah he but the way he says it he says like one of my hands is hers if you need the other one you better get going and yeah. i was like i was like yeah derek i love you so fucking much i was like derek, this I was is like, just such a good derek moment i was like this is my derek morgan this not, is my derek morgan yeah not why are we taking this case oh i can't wait to go drink Ugh, i'll keep practicing the sex like this this like human he, you can see how much he values human connection here. Yeah. Yes. Like, like he gets it. Yeah. You know, and he doesn't pray with her. He doesn't like finish the psalm. Like, it's like she's religious clearly and taking comfort in that. But like, whatever she needs, he is there. Yeah. And that's that makes all the difference. And oh, I love Derek, Derek so Morgan. Much. Derek this Morgan. This moment is so good. Ugh, I would lay down my life for. He's just like, this is such, this is like the standout moment of this episode for me. Yeah. 100%. This moment right here, this is the episode. Yeah. Especially like, think of this, like, remember when Garcia was like, oh my God, it would not be good for me if the computers turned out to me. And he's like, don't worry, I'll be there to protect you. And it's like a joke. And then you see this moment yeah. where Derek is like, no, I'm dead fucking serious. I will protect you if it means my life. And it's just like, I love Derek Morgan. I love this man. I love Derek Morgan. He yeah. is such a good character. I feel like they've finally figured out in season two, obviously because we're kind of building towards profiler profiled. Right. They really have like found out who Derek is. Yeah. Like they've, they've, they kind of like, I think stumbled through it and made him do a few different things in season one. Season two, this is who Derek is. Yeah. This is a guy kneeling next to a woman who is sitting on a bomb, refusing to leave her. Like, this is yeah. Derek. And, like, oh. this is, like, like this is the Derek that holds Emily's hand in season yeah. six, you know, where you're just like, yeah, dude. You this know? is, and like, this is Derek. Yeah. And he's still, he still parties it up and dances with chicks and gets laid and talks a bunch of shit. But, like, it hits different when you know that, like, this is his. Like like when when that when it came to it, he was not some player angry man. When it came to it, he is full of love and compassion and yeah. everything is different after you know that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I love Derek to death. 
Derek Morgan. This Derek moment Morgan. is so good. So true. We can um, skip to the end of the episode now. I'm good. <laughs> I just wanted to talk about <laughs> this one moment. We can um, just skip to the end now because there's some interesting well, stuff at the end. But I also really like it. He so she when Casey pulls the bomb out, he like has that woman in his arms. Yeah. So fast out of the car. Yes. Hugging yes. her and hugging her and like not letting her go. He's like, I get it. Ugh, fuck, I love him. Um, okay. God, just so that then, moment. I know. I know. Uh-huh. Um, we're almost done with this episode. Cool. This is why I told you I had so many, I have like 11 pages of notes for this episode. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. The woman's, the, uh, Ursula has read his manifesto. She's like, aside from the parts that are clearly plagiarized, this is like the <laughs> ravings of a lunatic. Um, and, but then Gideon says, well, a man that I greatly admire and respect is currently like risking his life to save someone who that raving lunatic decided to kill. Like, get it together. A man I care about, it could die because of this lunatic. Read the fucking manifesto again, and she does. Uh, he doesn't say that, but like, she's Which like, is such right. a good Gideon line, I think. Yeah. It's, it's so... Yeah. Understated in this moment. Yeah. But it and, like, comes back later in a big way. never said that to Derek. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's he's never shown any sort of like particular affinity no. towards Derek like he has for L or for Spencer. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really good that in this moment, like push comes yeah. to shove, Gideon is like, that is a young man I greatly respect and admire. Yeah. Get your shit together. Yeah. Like, and I think Okay, Grandpa, good... go off. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good parallel to the like what, the blonde woman in the room with the screens? Oh, she's great. It's yeah! the same kind of like, oh, wait, I need to tell people I think they're cool, you know? And even this one, he doesn't tell Derek this specifically. But I feel like he probably knows it'll get back to Derek because Spencer's in the room. Well, well once Derek is like, hey, I, in the airplane, he's like, hey, I heard you uh, said you greatly admired and respected me. And then Gideon, like, looks at Reed, like, glares at Reed for daring to tell Morgan that <laughs> Gideon respects him. Like... So funny. Um, okay. Uh, they decide they still, they're going to have to blow the bomb up to make the guy think that she died. So they'll. Gideon orders them to blow this woman's car up. Can she not keep her car after no. all of this? She's like, wait, can I get my shit out of the trunk? Like, um... <laughs> can she not keep her car after this? I mean, Are I you like... going to replace it? I feel like the insurance payout from um, a serial killer tried to blow up my car. And then the government blew it up anyway. Uh, I think the, the, yeah, no, you're right. The insurance payment from whatever insurance policy the FBI keeps is probably enough to pay this woman good. Yeah. Maybe they did her a favor. I hope she got a new car. Yeah. Cause like that car was like an old professor salary car. Yeah. This is going to be a, a shiny. Yeah. I've got a, I've got a man named Derek Morgan. He works at the FBI. <laughs> he bought me this car. You know? Yeah. 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 Uh, and then Ursula's like, you've got a com- you've got a complicated life. And Gideon goes, it's a complicated world. <laughs> uh, and Ursula's okay. straight up like, I cannot think of anybody this could be about. And then as they're walking, as Reed and Gideon are walking out, um, Reed's like, why didn't you ever write another book? And she goes, well, I guess this is the only story I needed to tell. And Reed's like, okay, <laughs> cool. No further thought about that. And just leaves. Which um, is an interesting statement 
you I know, think... I feel like this is the only story I needed to tell. It's interesting, mm. isn't it? For a it is. professor of literature, especially. To only have one story she needs that to tell. That she needed to tell. Now, okay. there's a necessity between, like, there's a difference between stories you want to tell and stories that you, like, need yeah. to get off your chest. Yeah. And also, sure. like, not everyone who studies literature is a creative writer. That's true. You know. Clearly she is, though. Right, she wrote this very popular sci-fi book. Um, it's just, it's, it's an interesting statement, I think, of, like, yeah. the necessities of telling a story. Yeah, they also you know? don't tell us when this book was written. I mean, if Reed read it when he was six, it's at least... 20 years eight, old. 18 years old. 18 years old. He's 24. And she mentioned that... And and it, the son was 20... It, the guy is 26. Yeah. Yeah. So... It needs to be 20 years old. 20 ish yeah. years old, about, give or take. Yeah. Um, which would make it mid 1980s, which is kind of like a boom in sci fi. Yeah, so that tracks. Yeah, yeah. that tracks. Okay, sure. <laughs> um, cool. Yeah, she's like, the only story I need to tell, whatever. She goes back to the office. She's like, looking over the manifesto. It's so good, though. Like, she has the thought of, like, she's like, yeah, I have no idea who it could be. And then she sits down and she goes, hmm. Hey, give also, me a file on Kenneth Roberts. I was like, so... Reed wow. also mentions, like, maybe you'll think of something when we're not looming over you. Oh, that's true. So maybe true. this is them not looming over her. Yeah. Um, And then she throws the book in the trash. So true, Queen. So true. I so felt true. really bad for her. I was like, yeah. the necklace from, like, your greatest love tainted. The book that was your catharsis tainted. Um, I felt honestly really bad for her. Yeah. Um, but that's postmodernism, baby. She had a bad time even before she got shot. She was having a yeah. pretty bad time emotionally, and then she was having yeah. a pretty bad time physically. Yeah. I really though, I was like, I was like, this is a very postmodern episode. It's all about like disillusionment. Yeah. It's all about like creating your own reality it's all about like that kind of stuff and then about the import ultimately the importance of human connection i was like they really did write like a postmodern episode of criminal minds <laughs> okay um and and we also but also we don't know the connection about the the child yet we don't know any of that yeah. yet um so now we're back at the station though and rita's writing out the subplot and we find out that allegro kills his mother like she, he finds her and is like, finally, I get to have the life I've always wanted. And then she's a robot and he has to kill her. And I think it's Derek says it sounds like a tragedy, or Hotch says it sounds like a tragedy. And Reed's like, oh no, it's not a tragedy. Like the mom's actually proud of him. Like she's the narrator and he's like proud that she's like, she's like looking down at him from heaven, mm -hmm. proud that he like did all of this kind of thing. Yeah. And then Gideon's like, the only story she needed to tell. Um, Great. The unsub shows up at the office and Kenneth just goes, Mother. <laughs> I said, talk about mommy issues. Literally. Hey. <laughs> okay. We find out that Kenneth's mom died when he was eight. And then recently, like, his dad needed blood and he found out he, like, wasn't biologically related to his father at all. 
And then his dad, before he died, was like, yeah, you're adopted. And the adoption records were sealed, um, but he found out that he was adopted in Youngstown, Ohio. Yes. I Can I just say, in general, as a rule, I hate the way Criminal Minds treats fostering and adoption. They have never placed it in a good light in this show. Not just that, but all of the, like, they're real parents. Don't you want him to know who his real mom is? And it's like, no, fuck you. The woman that raised him is his real mom. Yeah. You know? Also, Um, it feels very similar to, I'm sorry to invoke this name on this show, but it feels very similar to Once Upon a Time in a way, where that first season, Emma just like stormed into town like, I want to meet my son. Bitch, you put him up for adoption. No, that's not your son You know what you did. That's not your son. Unfortunately, yeah. that is Regina's son. She raised him. Yeah, that is not your son. It just, Reg- it, it, feel, it felt very, like, yeah. cavalier in a way. And especially the yeah. way that Criminal Minds treats it is also very cavalier. And yeah. very, like, disrespectful to adoptive, adoptive and foster parents. parents. Yeah, and children. You make a difference in that kid's life. You're that child's parent, right? Like, Yeah, and, like, not just, like, from the parent's perspective, but, like, a child... Finding out they're adopted, like, doesn't suddenly mean they don't have real parents. Like, they still have real parents, you know? You still so, like, have I, parents. Yeah, it's and, like, I hate, so I hate the idea that, like, kids grow up and they're like, I'm 18, time to find my real family. Bye, parents who raised me. Bye, like, fake family who raised me for 18 fake, years. Yeah, it's just fake so... family, like, yeah. It's not good. And it's... I don't... Criminal Minds never paints it in a good no. light at all. No. And it's literally like, yeah, they always paint it in a bad light. And they always, like, it's always, who's right? The birth parents or the adoptive parents? Who's more important? The woman who literally doesn't want you or the woman who raised you for 26 years? Like, okay, stop. <laughs> It reminds me of fucking Ride the Lightning. Exactly. That's just what I was thinking about. And then, like, in the end, it's his birth mother who gets to make the choice to leave him with his adoptive family. You know? And I don't like that. She's not his mom. (laughs) I mean, like, sure she is, but, like, no, she's not. Yeah, exactly. She doesn't know this kid at all. It's just weird. Yeah. It's odd. Um... But he finds he was adopted in Youngstown, Ohio. Ursula's from Youngstown. She gave up a baby for adoption 26 years ago. Her phone rings and she goes to get it and he like slaps her hand. Uh, and then he grabs her. And the BAU is also there, but not where they are. Um, and then he takes her into the auditorium where the lecture was held. And she's like, I sat right there and you didn't recognize me. But also, like, I, like, sure, whatever biological instincts, but, like, dude, I've never seen you before in my life. Literally. Like, how am I supposed to know you're my son? Like, in what world? I hate in movies where they're like, you look just like your parents. It's like, I also look like a lot of other people. So. <laughs> I'm also a white kid from Kansas. I could look like any given white person on the street. Yeah. Also, I'm not, like, l- I'm not staring everybody in the face like, are you my kid? Are you my kid? No. I'm never expecting to meet this kid again. Why would I think you were here in my lecture hall? Exactly. You know, and you didn't say anything. (laughs) Um, Okay. 
And he's like, I sat right there. You didn't recognize me. And he realized that he needed to do the story of the book, like reenact the story of the book for her to recognize him. And she's the whole time she's been like, let me explain. Wait, let me tell you something. And then she finally goes, Kenneth, it was a girl. The baby I gave up was a girl. Which do you think mm. they sort of kind of pose this question at the ep- at the end of the episode without actually posing it? Do you think she just said that to try and get him to calm down, to get out of the situation? No. Or do you think it really was a girl that she gave up? I think it really was a girl. Because as soon as he shows up, he's like, the baby you gave up. And she goes, wait, Kenneth, let me explain. And he, and he won't let her talk. And she's like, wait. And she's like, I need to tell you. She's like, trying, the second he's like, she realizes he thinks she's his mom. She mm-hmm. is trying to tell him something. And then finally she gets out like, I gave up a girl. And when she's like, when she takes the bullet for him, she's not like, I lied. It was a boy. Maybe he's my son. She was just like, nah, he's a lost kid. Who he just wants to know who he is. Yeah. So I think I think that if he was her son, they would have said something about it. Okay. And I think it I think it's an important like human message of like, okay, he's not her son. She still takes a bullet for him. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's the same thing with Derek. Like it's literally a parallel to Derek being willing to take the bomb, even mm-hmm. though he's never met this woman, never gonna talk to her again she like this guy tried to kill her but like that doesn't mean she wants him to die you know so yeah she is still that quote-unquote maternal figure even if she gave up she's still like obviously like yeah and he realizes she still cares yeah she's still like a good person yeah you know and like she sees this young 26 year old lost in life desperate for family and for an identity and she's like okay let's give you the chance you know yeah i mean he's probably going to jail but whatever he's absolutely going to jail at least he's not dead Um, but at least he's not dead yeah she thinks that he's lying he thinks that she's lying about the girl the bau comes in and he says he has a bomb yeah and then the sniper is targeting him and ursula takes the bullet and it's like he's lost you can't blame him um okay and they get on the plane this is so fucking cute reed hotch and jj are playing cards and hotch is like i'm going to the bathroom don't look at my cards second he's out of view reed looks at his cards <laughs> and jj says nothing jj's just like yeah <laughs> this is really like hotch playing cards with the two kids and fully expecting oh. them to cheat Fuck, yeah. Fully expecting Reed to I cheat. Mean, Even though Reed is from Vegas and can count cards. Yeah. What does he need to be looking at Hotch's hand for? Also, JJ calls Jade while Hotch isn't even there. So it's like, okay. But I guess if she knows... I mean, if Hotch, she won, she won, right? If, yeah, if Reed knows Hotch's hand and he's not pulling that out to prove that right. she's wrong, I guess yeah. she's good there, I guess. Yeah. I really like this moment where he's like, you know, JJ, um sci-fi can actually be really deep and she goes i'll save you the time reed i'm never going to comic-con with you and then he gets all embarrassed because he was 100 percent leading up to ask her to go to comic-con with him <laughs> like it's very much you like think she's being mean but then it's like caught <laughs> he was gonna ask her to go to comic-con like, red-handed yeah she's like reed don't no. ask me to go to comic-con like and he's just like what i uh, 
I wasn't. I wasn't gonna <laughs> wasn't. do that. <laughs> like, he yes, says, casually throwing aside two Comic Con tickets. Also, like I love that he, like he asked her to the, the, football game. She brings Penelope, and ever since then he's been like, you know, I've got a costume that you could wear if you wanted to go to Comic Con with me. You know. And she's she's like, read. <laughs> I'm never going to Comic Con with you. Sorry, it's just not my thing. Uh, and then he gets all embarrassed, and then she's like, Jin! And he's like, no. And he, like, looks up all of his cards, and he's like, I'll let you win. Um, and she's like, oh, right. Can't handle that you lost. Like, that's <laughs> uh, fake you. And then Derek is, like, off, like, Gideon's writing in his little notebook, and Derek is off listening to his music, and then he, like, takes his headphones off and come, comes over to Gideon, and he goes, so, a man you greatly admire and respect. And Gideon just glares at Reed, who's like, what? what it's like, wrong what it's like i didn't do anything what did yeah. i do it's like why are you glaring at me <laughs> uh and then gideon says like what he did was is stupid like saying with her was stupid and derek is like i would do it again and he's like i said it was stupid i didn't say it was wrong and derek's just like and then gideon goes what he said i said i said which is a terrible line and in the bloopers of this season he tries to like Mandy Patinkin just keeps fucking it up you just can't say and what he said I said I said which is just because it's a bullshit line it's bullshit who talks like that who talks like that yeah um so then Derek like goes is like cool and he just like taps the table and he's like "Mm -hmm, mm -hmm." and then he walks back to the couch and then he's just like (laughs) <laughs> he's like all happy <laughs> he's like laughing <laughs> I like that like, Derek yeah. got his little moment Derek was like yes he exactly I also think it's like such an important moment where like literally in the season one Derek is like is he gonna have like a mental breakdown on us and now it's like he respects me yeah <laughs> I like that like it's a really like, nice like turn full around, circle yeah. for them yeah yeah that's pretty cute it's really good. Hey, yeah. speaking of really good, scale of 1 to 10, what are you going to rank this episode? I'm going to give it an 8. you going to give it an 8? Okay, okay. I think I'm going to go a little bit higher. I think I'm going to go... I'm going to go to 9. You're going to go to 9? Because I was also yeah. going to go to 9, you fucking... Yeah. Well, I was thinking 9, and then I was like, no. But then I was like, yeah. Maybe yes, actually. Maybe, yeah, actually. Yeah, I was gonna go like eight point seven five or nine because I just I really like this episode. This is a good fucking episode. This is huh? like, like sure all of the annoying sort of like weird diversion into AI is strange, but it's still like a scene that you can ignore if you want, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's just like it's good. Um, let's see. They do say the episode title within the title, obviously, because mm-hmm. it's Empty Planet, which is also great episode title for this episode of Criminal Minds. Even if it yeah. wasn't the title of the book, Empty Planet is still a great title for this episode. Absolutely. Do they say Wheels Up? No. No. Unfortunately. Oh, no. We have a little streak there. Maybe they'll say it next episode and we'll keep our streak of every other episode. Who knows? We probably won't. Speaking of next episode, next next time on Wheels Up, Season 2, Episode 9, The Last Word. 
All I know is Emily's in it. Usually I watch the beginning and then I watch the end. It's the it's the two serial killers in St. Louis that are writing newspaper ads to each other. Right. It's a good episode. Yeah. Even sans the Emily stuff. But the Emily stuff is also very fucking good. Oh, 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 yeah. It's these two guys who are competing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, well, not episode. competing, but complimenting each other, I should say. This is a good episode. It's a good episode. And Emily's here. It's a great Yay. up. We're going to have a great time next next time on Wheels Up. I always want to say next week, but we don't do weekly. So I'm no. always having to be like, next episode of Wheels Up. Anyway, until next time, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, etc., etc., etc. at Wheels Up Pod. You can also, if you'd be so kind, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or yeah. rate us five stars on Spotify because you can do that now. Oh, yeah. That's it for this app. James, do you have an outro quote for me? Take me home. As uh, Penelope Garcia says, yikes. sometimes you do like a whole lead up to it and then it's one word and sometimes you do zero lead up and it's the funniest sentence i've heard in my entire life